It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow. It's still real to me, damn it. The Lapsed Fan. In all my years in professional wrestling, I've never seen anything like it. Oh, my God. Drop kick and a beauty. I don't know, boss. Uh, what do you think? Calm after the storm? I, I would say. I would say we need a little bit of a, uh, some sobering after the drunken destruction that we caused last oh time. Oh, my God. I feel like I just reached onto the, onto the booze shelf. I feel like... No. I feel like the only thing that can bring me down off this, this well, I don't want to say a high necessarily. Maybe this low. Low, is, is indeed. Chair, this, this, this rock bottom. Is Chairman's Choice. Yes. Um, here on the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast, coming off of the three-part epic, the uh, show that got all the praise it deserved, okay? Um, ten years. After the Chris Benoit tragedy, your co-chairman, go there and stay there until it's finished. So I say we go back another 10 years and go back to a comfort zone. You mean 20? Let's go 20 years. Another 10 years. We went back 10 years last time. Let's go back another 10 years. Got it. That's right. Because last week was about discomfort, and so much about the Mm -hmm. lapsed fan is Mm -hmm. about discomfort. Um, Usually in your rectum. Correct. (laughs) You know, they're... We, it's interesting how size matters, yet size is what causes discomfort. Yes. And um, that three-part series... In your rectum. 11 hours. <laughs> yes, we got that. Thank you very yeah. much. Right. It's <laughs> clarifying, because anyone was concerned. Okay. Um, we did it. We put it on the shelf. Let it live and breathe forever as audio history as it regards the darkest chapter in this industry. And we're glad to have done it in an odd way. Uh, yes. But we're moving along, folks, and the spring is back in our step, boss, because this is the 1997 WWF King of the Ring. Yes, it is. What? It's bound to get medieval this week. <laughs> yeah. Brace yourself. Yeah. And, and where does one get medieval on? <laughs> the you Dunkin' know. Donuts Center? <laughs> no, I was going to say your ass, but I take your point. Oh, that's true, too. Uh, no, get, hey, you know what? Dunkin' Donuts can get medieval on your ass, too, if you know what I mean. Yeah, this... I don't know. I think we should chase a Duncan sponsorship. I mean, we're New England guys. I think so too. We stay up all fucking night doing this thing. We need to swig that turbo shot. I do swing that dunk. Oh my god! Well, all to all hours of the evening. That's business for another time. Okay. When we last left you in Chairman's <laughs> Choice, it was May 1997, and cold a day in hell in your house, and it's all starting to ferment. The WWF glory mm-hmm. period to come. The Attitude Era boom period. Cash hand over fist is starting to come together, is starting to reconcile, and what a show this is. Not so much for what happens within the three-hour window of the paper yeah. broadcast, yeah. but the point at which 
all of the backstage <sighs> political undercurrents come to a head between May and June of 1997, before the show and just after it. What a clusterfuck. What a clusterfuck. Looking back, why? Um, just because of, of the, the whole Brett Sean thing, the reshuffling of the card at the last minute, like it's just, there's so much drama and there's so much, you know, what's, this is what's so funny about it is that on paper, Mm. if you look at these shows the way they are. They're pretty solid. I mean, if you're watching Raw in 97 at this time, it's a solid show. You know, the storyline looks so, so perfect. But as we've discovered throughout the last couple of months on, 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 in 97 shows, it's, it's anything but. It's all the byproduct of chaos. Yes. It, it's and backstage chaos, the likes of which, you know, what's so great about being able to do shows like this now yeah. is – Everyone has said their piece in shoot interviews and books, yes. you know, and there's no there's no having to read between the lines and in, in the week to week newsletter coverage of the time. There's everyone has done uh, point counterpoint and there's such a rich history of backstage tensions coming to a boil right around this time in June yeah. 1997 that yep. it's just going to be so fun to unpack it. And I feel like it's a real pivot point. In 1997, there, there's before King of the Ring in terms of the um, the political chessboard, and there's after King of the Ring. Sure. And and the Austin era. Now, Austin works Shawn Michaels after they win the tag titles in a fucking raw contest sure. for the ages. Your thoughts Ugh. on the Austin Michaels dynamic? That'll set the table for a lot of what we have to discuss here it's today. It's so awesome. Yes, correct. It is. There, there was nothing more exciting than two guys who didn't like each other, who were forced to team together, and then just battle each other left and right. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was so cool to watch then, and it's been so cool to watch again. Uh, it's one of the great because you know as we've said it a million times, there's so much going on. Oh, everybody. There's has so much going on. Four Everyone has agendas. issues. The, in, the yep. inmates are running the asylum. It's like packs of different wolves prowling around the arenas yep. every week trying to get a leg up, trying to be the, the, the person that gets the most spotlight or the faction that gets the it most It feels so real. Yes. It feels um, like what would happen if these egos were allowed to run amok. Right. right. And um, the, the, the one thing I always find fault with, there's only one minor thing that I find fault with mm-hmm. in the Austin-Michaels um, dynamic, as we've talked about it, is this fucking Dusty Rhodes type mentality that, oh, wait, this is a cool thing. Now Shawn Michaels has got to be part of the cool thing. And, you know, saying ass and stuff and, and being whatever. And I, I didn't like that. So but, you mean characters beyond Austin cursing? No, no. Just the idea that Michaels never did that before. Right. And he, and he comes back from, the, from, from finding his smile and he suddenly has to be a badass. Right. Now he has this attitudinal like, streak. Right. Suddenly you're suddenly you have the attitude. And like he had an attitude before. He was certainly edgier um, you know, in, in January of ninety seven and whatnot, but not no, not, not like yeah. not like he was here, because now he's suddenly like saying swears and stuff and and, and it, it got to be a little weird when there were some guys from my childhood, from my yeah. you know, younger fan years who suddenly were 
were saying were, like when Sid swore, when Sid would say ass, it's like, you know, you sound badass enough without saying the word. Mm-hmm. You always did sound intimidating without saying the word. When you say the word, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Like Austin's the guy who should be pushing that envelope, not everybody else. Well, I'm so glad you said that because one of my thoughts for laying the foundation here for King of the Ring 97 was to look at a piece that ran May 12th of 1997 in the Baltimore Sun. Mm. And really? it kind of, yeah, it kind of lays Before out. Before you get into that, I want to I, I just lay out something pretty quickly first. Oh, sure. If I sound, if I sound a little bit different. Oh, yeah, right. To those, to those in the solar system, I want you to let you know, it was, it was announced on the Twitter um, this past week that I am on location. Um, I'm in Virginia. I'm doing a production of The Evil Dead. Uh, the musical with the Wolfbane Theater Company. Wolfbane Theater Company. If you guys are in, if anybody who's listening is in the uh, greater Virginia area or specifically the Appomattox area, mm-hmm. uh, please come see the show. It's pretty. It's damn. I mean, it's it's lapsed to the bone. If you ask me, it's yeah. vulgar. It's violent. It's bloody. Um, it's really funny. And um, also, I you know don't have all of my traditional sound equipment so i'm back with an old microphone that i used to use and in a new place so there will be elements and atmosphere like never before so if i sound a little funny just know that it's because i am not in my usual home studio i am in virginia you're in that old uh uh disputed territory between that's right wwf and crockett right that's right absolutely area both wanted to lay claim and neither really did it was always a blend of the two territories so uh, straddling that two hours line. away from Nor- two hours away from Norfolk, two hours away from Greensboro. Right, make of that what you will. So yes, go see the boss man. Um, surprises promised. Yes, uh, if you can indeed gain admission and tell them the lapsed fan sent you at the door, will you? Absolutely, please do. Let them know. Let them think at least for twenty five seconds that the boss man is actually a draw and not just talent. <laughs> please, please let them think that I that I can draw that I can draw a gate and. Uh, <laughs> And and bump a rating and a buy rate. Okay. <laughs> so, pop shit too. So there have all, there have already been, as we've talked about in 1997, a series of flashpoints where they go yeah. way past the line of of taste and vulgarity than they have before. Um, you know, shit making air more than once, including out of Shawn Michaels' mouth in that promo we talked about on uh, the Cold Day in Hell show, where he just you know. Yes. Flies off the handle. Oh, it may have been the uh, Revenge of the Taker show talking about how Brett isn't who you think he is, and I've seen, and I know that the whole, you know, Bret Hart, Mr. Integrity is bullshit, and it's just like, oh my God, or a crock of shit, whatever. And, um, you know, the violence is on 10, Austin is flipping people off all the time, and it's the highlight of the damn show. You know, it's not just that they're going further, they're making a point to highlight going further as the new yes. flavor of Raw. And Nitro is, is trying to respond in kind while at the same tr- time, you know, because they're so comfortably ahead in the ratings and in just about every business metric, still trying to take the high road at the same time. Kind of a curious blend of both. And just around this point in time, um, media is starting to take notice. This, of course, is before the absolute peak of the Monday Night Wars, where just the fact that these two shows cumulatively were doing such incredible uh, television numbers, upwards of 10 million viewers combined, th- that's a story in and of itself that transcends whether your readers are interested in wrestling. That's just a big story in, in television and in media and pop culture. But this is where, you know, unless you're really following the creative, it, you don't see yeah. a lot of mainstream outlets pick up on this subtle change in what wrestling is before it actually sure. catches fire. Sure. 
And so Kevin Eck, who actually went on to become, uh, I believe, the editor of WCW Magazine and a member of the WWE's creative writing team not too many years ago, um, was working at the Baltimore Sun at this time and was one of the one of the lead sort of uh, pro wrestling columnists at a ma- major daily newspaper in the late 90s. There were a few of them. Alex Marvez at the Miami Herald is another. And um, he wrote this piece that kind of laid it all bare uh, just as it was happening. So this is what people in the real world would have been singing and hearing about where pro wrestling yes. was right around this time. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's entitled Wrestling's Battle Royal, Violence, the once cartoonish sport, quote-unquote, of course, Boss, <laughs> is becoming crude and cruder as rival organizations grapple for supremacy. Viewers of the USA Network were glued to their televisions one Monday evening last fall. Unfolding CNN style on their screens was live coverage of a huge, angry man breaking into the house... I, I just keep thinking. I just want, I'm trying to think of an editor. Editor's trying to say something. Hey, if you're gonna put that, if you're gonna put the word sport in there, you gotta make sure you put quotes in it because it's fucking fake. It's not. <laughs> you understand? It's hardly a sport, that's a, Kevin. It's it's hardly a sport. It's more like entertainment. I know sports, and that's not a sport. Now let me go bet on horses running in circles. I gotta go see a picture tonight with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. All right, all right, Mr. Jo- all right, Mr. Jonah Jameson, let me get that done. Hey, I guess Jonah Jameson is better than Jameson of the Bushwhackers fame. Or Jonah the, uh... The... <laughs> From Tough Enough? <laughs> from fucking, like, Marblehead, Massachusetts, or wherever he's from? Hilarious. Christ. Yet I made him in the fucking game. I made him in No Mercy. Jonah. Jonah. Right. <laughs> There's a flashback for your asses. Jonah. Jonah's Ark. Go, go. We just <laughs> yeah, Jonah's Ark. That what was this, his finishing move? That's his finishing move. I called it Jonah's Ark. <laughs> makes no sense. <laughs> it sounds like Joan of Arc. <laughs> go. Uh, we we just sent a select few members of the solar system down a serious rabbit hole when it comes to that early uh, tough enough cast. Yeah, you can spend no, some right. time there. <laughs> Back to the piece. Uh, into the house of a rival and threatening to harm him and his screaming yeah. wife. The furious homeowner produced a handgun and waved it wildly at his attacker when suddenly the picture went blank. Homeowner. Yeah, he's a homeowner, right. <laughs> My principal address is... Brian, Brian, Brian Pillman, homeowner. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I think of. Wide-eyed homeowner. Wild... The, loose, the loose homeowner, Brian <laughs> Pillman. <laughs> The loose deed holder. He didn't pay his mortgage on time. Right. The loose homeowner. Before he passed away, he passed papers. <laughs> Sorry. Rest in peace, the brilliant Brian Pillman. Yes. The, okay. Um, the picture, when suddenly the picture went blank, leaving viewers wondering whether someone might have been shot. A chance discovery by a TV news team? One of those new cop style crime shows? No. Just another broadcast of the World Wrestling Federation's Monday primetime telecast. Welcome to professional wrestling circa 1997, where a ratings war and competition from other more violent sports have turned the cartoonish good versus evil format of the 1980s. Any more buzzwords? Ratings? Competition? Corporation? I know that's right. Notwithstanding, let's see if that's in there. Vince would want notwithstanding in there. Um, I would suggest... Can you say universe? (laughs) Can you add that one in there? Maybe... Maybe, maybe, maybe entertainment. Can you put entertainment? We'll get there. Just say, just put the word in there somewhere. Have turned the cartoonish good versus evil format of the 1980s into a darker, edgier world this, of anti-heroes and anarchy. 
let me tell you, sorry to interrupt again, but Please this is ahead. this is what I fucking hate. Liberally This interrupt. is what I fucking absolutely fucking hate about <laughs> about news about newspapers, news organizations, and parents. Okay? Because because this is this is back in the eighties when wrestling was big yeah. and it was cartoony and it was harmless. People still made fucking fun of it. People still criticized for being what it was. Well, they and it's like what they had the most fun with then was the instances where the squeaky clean superhero image was contrasted with the the the, the gross underbelly of the business. You know that's why. I guess, but you know, I, I think my mom story like, always, so my, my mom always saying how you know, oh, in 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 real in real wrestling, they're not allowed to punch well, <laughs> or kick like that, and then all of a sudden, then. Then, then, then the edgier stuff happens, and I'm watching Raw with my mom one night. And she says, "What happened to the good old fun wrestling yeah. that it used to be like?" See, everybody like, you hated it then. Everybody knew it, before, it used Ma. to be better. Everybody ah. knew, even haters knew it used to be better. Even people who didn't like wrestling that's knew right. it used to be better. This is so violent and vulgar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, well, that's true. I mean, there was people, you know, parents would say it was violent in the '80s. No question about that. Right. I mean, they still did blood angles and fucking right. ambushes I mean, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Monday Night Televised Wrestling, which pits the WWF's Raw is War on the USA. I like that for a title. WWE <laughs> Monday Televised Wrestling. <laughs> well, you know. WWE MTW. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That's good. Um, that's, Patterson, that's our new show. <laughs> The Scrap other, Raw. The untold history of Raw. Monday televised wrestling is war. <laughs> and war is Monday night televised wrestling. <laughs> Tell MTV they can go fuck themselves. We've got MTW. <laughs> <laughs> MTW or FTW as far as that goes. All right. <laughs> On the USA Network opposite Not World Championship. Nothing. What? Not for nothing. Opposite World Championship Wrestling's Monday Nitro on TNT means programs full of mayhem, blood, foul language, gang style no. violence, scandal mayhem, women. Mayhem didn't come till 1999. <laughs> that was different. <laughs> and yes, maybe even gunplay. <laughs> Very appropriate considering the, the Austin Pillman confrontations on this show that we're talking about this week. Yeah. All screened during TV's family hour, quote unquote. Monday Nitro, so far the tamer of the two shows, broadcast live from the Baltimore Arena tonight. So that's why he's writing about it. Why the change? Okay. It's just good business, say those uh-huh. running the rival wrestling organizations. The kids of the 80s who grew up rooting for all-American good guys like Hulk Hogan, they say, are now jaded 20-somethings who worship Marilyn Manson, Howard Stern, and Dennis Rodman. They're looking for something more real, more dangerous, the kind of entertainment, there it is, they can now find ah, yes. fringe sports. Yes, entertainment. It's a good article. It says entertainment. Yes. What? The kind of entertainment they can now find in fringe, quote-unquote, sports, like extreme championship wrestling, ECW, Ah. like that's a different thing, and ultimate fighting championship. Quote, I think the taste of the American public changes from time to time, and I think we attempt to reflect what that change is and give the public what they want. Says who? Me. (laughs) Correct, the chairman of that fucking board, (laughs) says WWF chairman Vince McMahon. You don't understand. That the, the 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 you know we just we just go along with what is in the public's interest and their best interest. You know we we we, we play to the fans. <laughs> I'll be we sent- play 
I'll be, send, I'll be sending you Vince's oh. quotes as I come upon them here in this right. piece, so if you want to convey to the folks. Sure. All right, here we go. I think the taste of the American public changes from time to time, and I think we attempt to reflect what that change is <laughs> and give the public what they want. Yeah, because he's just got his finger to the if breeze. their tastes change. Hey, look. My finger is on the pulse of Americana. This is not in the story, by the way. If, if their tastes change, so too will the direction of our company. Said Mike Weber, WCW's director of marketing, quote, For the first time in a long time at our shows, you'll see much more of an early 20s group of people. They really have to have something to keep them interested. And I think that's what we're accomplishing on Nitro, because you never know what's going excuses. to happen. All these fucking excuses. Right. You didn't know what was going on. You didn't know what to do. And now you found something, and you act like you fucking controlled it the whole time. Oh. You nailed it. That that's the that's one of the secrets of wrestling, and I suppose any enterprise is, is when you stumble on something, everyone scrambles to act like it was part of their idea. You know that it was part of their design. <sighs> Gross. Competition for these fans has made Monday Night a nearly no-holds-barred battleground for the rival wrestling groups. Raw is war and Monday Nitro, which usually air against each other at 8 p.m. Nitro is airing earlier during the NBA playoffs. Vie to outdo each other in unpredictability and excitement. During the past six months, both shows have <coughs> upped the ante, with more brutal and realistic violence. Women getting involved in bouts. And, of course, the gun incident. Not coincidentally... I that... think more women should be involved with bouts. <laughs> I, think, I think what we need is more women's... Bouts. What a word. Bout. Is bout. this a bout? Yes, a this bout with chlamydia. <laughs> Is this a boot? Is this a boot? Joey Abs. Joey Abs. Joey Abs. A boot. Now, coincidentally, that Raw is War broadcast last November marked the WWF's debut in the 8 p.m. time slot. The gun incident, which played up the rivalry between WWF superstar Stone Cold Steve Austin and rival Brian Pillman, <clears throat> neither man was injured. In parenthesis. Of course not, because it's fake. Was admittedly intended as a oh, ratings yeah. booster, says... Let's not, forget, let's not forget that what we do is fake. <laughs> it's not real. There's your lead quote. Don't you understand that? All right, I'm going to pitch it to you. It's here in a fucking... It's like fucking... Because we have the fucking whatever... Paper, what paper is it? This is the Baltimore Sun. What paper is doing the story? Baltimore Sun. Vince McMahon admits wrestling fake... And of course, you know, even though I know what Kevin Eck looks like, you know I'm picturing the reporter from The Wire. The whole time. Get me the. Uh... Um, I dare say. Here he is. Here, what? This no, one? Oh, wait, let me set it up. Hold on. <clears throat> so, in rival Brian oh. Pillman, neither man was injured, was admittedly intended as a ratings booster, says McMahon. But even he thought it may have gone too far. I, I dare say. On that given night, we went over the edge a bit. I dare say. That's McMahon. The WWF, I dare say. You know, he's, he's saying, like, like, I'm just as much of an arbiter of good morals as you are. I did, you know, it's, it's like he's putting himself on the same plane as, as the writer. You know, I dare say. Like, because, right. I, I, you know, I know, uh-huh. I know, I have the same moral compass you do. So I dare say this. I dare admit, acknowledge. <laughs> I'm I'm not afraid to tell you where I've made a mistake. That's right. But I did make one. <laughs> Just we just went over the edge a little bit. <laughs> but I didn't make one. We didn't make a mistake. 
The WWF and USA Network were flooded with complaints after the broadcast, and both later issued apologies. It was, however, what every wrestling fan was talking about the next day. New World Order. Despite such antics... I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that you can't handle <laughs> real wrestling television. There's that edge I'm looking for, Vince. That's what I apologize for. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry you can't real wrestling television. That's what I apologize for. Then you, he kind of floats away from the mic. Like he he's like readjusting in this chair that you see in beyond the mat at the desk. Well, was was that okay? Is that all right? <laughs> that was good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, well, I second that. Despite such antics, the WWS Raw's War has lost the Monday ratings battle to WWE's Monday Nitro every week for nearly a year. Part of the reason is Nitro's popular storyline featuring a gang of anti-hero wrestlers known as the New World Order. In a postmodern twist, he said postmodern. He said postmodern. Let me, let me, let me ask you this. Oh, he did. He said postmodern twist. Did. He, he did. Fuck my ass. Just a red brick. Um, let me ask you this. If you saw... If, if you saw... Again... <laughs> Got some Brechtian, uh, yes. in a Brechtian postmodern twist, yes. Um, but like a man, uh, think of what if what if the forty-year-old men who are part of who make up the gang of the NWO were really like walking down the street? Would you feel threatened by them? Not at all. These forty-year-old millionaires. I, I'd be like, "Where's the Chippendales?" <laughs> Where's the chip and fails? <laughs> Where's the fish and chip and dales as well? I'd, I'd be curious. Um, <laughs> in a postmodern twist, the Where's WCW the Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. In a postmodern twist, the WCW heavily promotes the New World Order while posing them as outlaws, threatening to take over the organization. The gang's members. <laughs> which include former good guy Hulk Hogan and more recently the NBA's Rodman, don't actually wrestle very often. Instead, they storm the ring and attack other wrestlers with baseball bats and pipes, then spray paint the letters NWO on their prone bodies. The black NWO t-shirt has become one of wrestling's hottest pieces of merchandise. Hogan's metamorphosis from babyface to heel is symbolic of wrestling's new order. The blonde muscle man who for years was depicted as a patriotic superhero and instructed his little hulksters to train, say their prayers, and take their vitamins, there it is, now tells the fans to stick it. Yes, boss. Brother. <laughs> That's right, dude. I'm going to tell your ass to stick it, dude. The change was... <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, he went through all the trouble to set up through WCWPR an interview with Hogan, and that's what he got. The change was calculated. Hogan's popularity had waned. His fans apparently tired of it's a it's a pre-recorded statement. Like Hogan pre-records the statement. It's 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 already there. Like there's no he's not actually interviewing with Hogan. Mike, Weber. but WCW has this for every interview they set up. Mike Weber's like Kevin. The best we can do for you is is get your t ask your question to Hulk backstage at a show, and we'll record his answer. And they literally send him like a sound clip from from the talking wrestling buddy. Oh shit, that's amazing. Now go get fucked, you media slime. Big fan of that. Yes. All right. <clears throat> I, I like Hulk Hogan. Okay. 
All right. The change was calculated. Hogan's popularity had waned, as fans apparently tired of his ultimate good guy persona. I like Hulk Hogan since he's turned bad, Kenny Kirby, a 28-year-old Hagerstown resident, said at a WCW show at the Baltimore Arena in March. He was too good to be true before. Now he's more human. I like like Hulk Hogan since he's turned bad. You know, and he's, he's more real than he was before. Like, he, you know, he's like... He's just more real. Anything else, Kirby? I mean, Kenny? What? <laughs> I didn't think so. For its part, the WWE... <laughs> no character in the Laps Fan Solar System is above a well-timed what? I have to, I've noticed that. <laughs> Every single fucking one of them. For its part, the WWF has tried to sway viewers with greater degrees of sex, violence, and crude language. Take Blood, for instance, a theatrical staple of wrestling before the sport's rise in popularity and the onset of the AIDS epidemic in the mid-80s. Bleeding is back! On two recent WWF pay-per-view events, wrestlers suffered severe lacerations to the head. Video clips with close-ups of the wrestlers' bloody faces were rebroadcast on Raw is War, and gory photographs were published in the Raw magazine. McMahon said both. Just in- wait till next year. Just, just wait till next year when they, when they, uh, when they make a shirt out of the bloody graphics. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. McMahon, get ready, boss. Said both incidents were accidental. Uh- not intentional. We have a policy that strictly prohibits the old practice of intentional bloodletting. <laughs> That's it. Never again However, will we talk about blading on this show. It'll always be intentional bloodletting. <laughs> you know, I, can, I can guarantee you as well that blood intentional bloodletting was in no way barbaric. It was it was only done with natural. Rusty razor blades. <laughs> what, are we talking However, about? What, what, uh, are we talking about like uh, curing dysentery in the twelfth century here? Or are we talking about yeah. running a small nick across your forehead for dramatic effect? I mean, bloodletting isn't that what you do when, when you have to completely bleed the disease out of someone's body before modern medicine? Well, well I'm not a certified physician, right. so I can't answer, the, answer that educationally. Or intellectually, or you know. Any other way. All I can say is that, however, what what what, what we do. What we do in the ring is extremely physical, and sometimes things do get out of hand. The WCW's programming is somewhat restricted by the fact that unlike the privately held WWF, it is part of a public company, the Turner Time Warner Empire. We are part of the largest entertainment company in the world, Weber said. Therefore, we do have guidelines that we have to stay within. We do have a higher authority to answer to. Who Vince Russo will be hired in a couple of years to completely mock mercilessly for no one's amusement but his own. (laughs) Still, both shows devote a significant amount of airtime to the women of wrestling, young women in revealing outfits and high heels who accompany various wrestlers to ringside as managers or valets. It's not a new idea in the sport, but the number of women in their roles have greatly expanded. Again, the WWF you know, is... They, they accompany my penis out of my pants. That's not when a When I'm story. in my office alone. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Kevin Eck didn't you can, put you, that you in you the can story. Quote me on that one. Yeah. You can quote me on that. Many women escort my penis outside of my pants. It happens. There's something just like... I don't tell my wife, though, so just be careful about that. 
Okay, let's go back over that. Can we do that, boss? Can we, can we review the tape on that? Okay. You can quote me on that. Four seconds later, but a little, but you know, don't tell my wife. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> another, uh, another Vince quote coming your way, boss. If you can um, brace yourself as I set it up, coming your way <clears throat> again. The WWF has taken things further. It recently held a televised bikini contest and features Playboy-type pictorials of semi-nude female characters in its magazine. McMahon, however, takes offense at the notion that the WWF is no longer suitable for the whole family. Let's not confuse the change of direction in Raw, or MTW, as some of you like to call it. (laughs) You just made that up at the beginning of the interview. And already it's a thing. It's a verbal that they call it. That they call it. Right. It's already a tick. A verbal tick. With the, with the direction, with the change, you know, uh, let's not confuse the change of direction in Raw with a, ter- a change of direction for the company. Oh. They're two different things. You know, Raw is a television show. The WWE is a vehicle for entertainment. <laughs> We're attempting to uh, reach a more mature primetime audience. And at the same time, we're still attempting to keep a younger audience inserted in interested in what we're doing as well. That's why you have your kids watch Saturday morning television, Saturday morning televised wrestling, and men watch Monday televised wrestling, as you call it. So, like Pandemonium Inc., it's up to you, listeners, to determine what was and wasn't in the original text. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, televised wrestling is a pretty good hint. In terms of where that line is drawn. (laughs) And, boss, let's be clear, televised wrestling as opposed to non-televised wrestling. Non-televised wrestling entertainment. N-T-W-E. Oh, Jesus. That sounds like a format. That sounds like a format, a video format. All right. Yes, I'd, like, I'd like this one to be an N-T-W-E, please. In response to complaints about the wrestler's use of excessive profanity on Raw's War, the USA Network has instituted a seven-second delay to bleep out the offensive language. Obscene gestures, however, are frequent. While McMahon and Weber both deny its influence, part of what has pushed the major wrestling programs to change their formats is the recent emergence of two ultraviolet forms of entertainment. Extreme Championship Wrestling. Why does he insist on calling that a separate form of entertainment? That's weird. It's still wrestling, you dumbass. Extreme Championship Wrestling, an independent company based in Philadelphia, has taken realistic ring mayhem and crudity to an extreme for the past five years, playing in smaller venues but gaining a cult following via wrestling magazines, videotapes, and the internet. Another competitor for fans has been the Ultimate Fighting Championship of New York, which features brutal, unscripted mixed martial arts matches. It's pay per view. Wait, UFC was from UFC was from New York. Originally, it was based out of New York. Yes, semaphore. And yet, there and yet, New York is the state that fucking had the ban. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's part of it is that they were trying. You know, they were making such a splash in their backyard and made political enemies there, and the rest is history. But um, wow, yeah, that's crazy. Um, 
which features brutal and scripted mixed martial arts matches. Its pay-per-view events have become a cable TV staple and reportedly beat the WWF and WCW on pay-per-view buy rates frequently before the past year. Both major wrestling organizations have tried to capitalize on their competitors' popularity. The WWF has periodically featured extreme championship wrestling performers and recently signed Ultimate Fighting Champ Ken Shamrock, whom ABC TV called the world's most dangerous man. The WCW, meanwhile, has lured away several of ECW's top stars. At its core, perhaps pro wrestling has not really changed. It's still a weekly battle between powerful uh, forces. EC, ECW is still fake sports, dude. I know. And that's not... I mean, you can't say ECW and then say um, capitalize on their competitors' popularity. Like, the popularity of ECW is like a total drop in the bucket compared to WWF and WCWs at this point in time. And it always was and it always will be. I, I don't know. I'm curious. Um, the worst and most popular of all uh, wait a minute, okay. It's still a weekly battle between powerful forces, only instead of good versus evil, it's now bad versus worse. Mm. The morally comp- I, prefer, I prefer bad versus badder. <laughs> the morally compromising times we live in, boss. Yes. The worst and most popular of all may be the WWF's Steve Austin, a bald, goateed, tough-as-nails wrestler whose trademark is his frequent use of foul language. Austin's character is a crude, irreverent sadist who has contempt for everyone, including the fans. But the worse his behavior, the more the fans cheer, and the more they cheer, the more insistent Austin is that he couldn't care less about them. If Steve Austin did the same things 10 to 15 years ago, he would not be cheered the way he is now, said Dave Meltzer, publisher of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. It's just because he has the attitude and he breaks all the rules, and that is what people want in their heroes now. The ultimate bad guy becomes the um, good guy. So this is, this is the definition of sadist, I want you to know. Yeah. A person who derives pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from inflicting pain or humiliation on others. I'm hard, son. <laughs> I think I think it's time that maybe you you rub one out in the middle of the ring after you beat up Brian Pillman. I just Steve that I think will add intrigue to your mystique. That's right. Intrigue to your mystique. That's exactly what it will add. That's exactly how I'd frame it, not notwithstanding. Nevertheless. I, well, I want su- you to stand at attention, sir. I would suggest in the ring in your pants. I know that's right. Yeah. Now, through the time-honored device of a personal feud, Austin is helping the WWF convert its last traditional good guy, Bret Hart, to the dark side. For McMahon, it's just part of his business's natural evolution. I should also say, I, I have a, uh, I have a roommate in this, um, in, 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 in the apartment that I'm housed in, and this is the first time he's obviously listening to the show and probably hearing a completely different side of me that he's ever heard of before. Oh, you just wait. <laughs> Great. A lot of, wait, wait till we start reading emails about tight oh, balloon yeah. knots and oh shit. He hasn't even gotten to the ass stuff yet. <laughs> That's true. We haven't even, we've just, I just barely said rectum. Okay. Um, okay, so I just set you up with a quote there. For McMahon, yep. it's just part of his business's natural evolution. Jim, years ago, wrestling was extremely simple, and I dare say. There it is again. A little too simple. In its portrayal of either everything was white or everything was black. And that's not the case anymore. That's not the case anymore. There's a lot of gray area. So a Stone Cold Steve Austin certainly reflects that gray area, despite him being a white man who wears black trunks. 
there's a lot of gray area, including on top of my head. <laughs> but while things may evolve... I, see, this is how much I reflect the pulse <laughs> of, 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 of America. Are you saying Vince went gray when the characters went gray, boss? That's right. Shades of gray? There's, I have shades of gray, <laughs> just like the characters on television have shades of gray. It, it's like just for men, shades of gray. I can, see, well, I can see it on the shelf at Walmart right now. Well, Monday televised wrestling <laughs> is just for men. It's shades of gray. <laughs> Man, talk about a fucking alphabet soup of slogans. <laughs> but while more, like an al- more, more like an alphabet poop. <laughs> but while things may evolve further, don't expect things to get simple again anytime soon. I'm not saying it's going to get worse, but I don't think we'll ever get back to superheroes, said Brian Knighton, a 25-year-old South Baltimore man who competes in extreme championship wrestling under the name Axel Rotten and will be dead in 20 years. (laughs) Yes, I'm laughing at the dead man. Rest in peace, Axel Rotten. It's just a violent world that we live in today, says Knighton. Wrestling is now what it used to be in the 60s, in the smoky arenas. With the guys drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, and afterward going out to the nudie bar. It isn't really well, family entertainment anymore. End well, I'll quote. tell you right now, what the thing is, is that uh, back in the day, I think we had a very strong product. <laughs> Go back to the 60s. All right. <laughs> Dumont Network, bitch. Take and, it. I think, the, I think we had a very strong, very strong product. You know, I've been in the business now 35, 40 years. Oh, it always and, sucks uh, to invite Vern to a panel <laughs> discussion because he'll just pipe right out. He doesn't give a fuck. If you touch on something and, anywhere... And, and the you know the thing is is that the the only reason that the AWA went out of business is because the <laughs> brought um, that up. No one brought that up. Is because that 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 people didn't understand what they really yes. thought was fun and good <laughs> and, and, and was good sport. Quote. That's the difference. People didn't really understand what they thought was fun. <laughs> There's a headstone quote for you. People really didn't understand what they thought was fun, said the failing wrestling promoter as he circles the drain. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's those words that always roll off the tongue of successful pr- promoters of any stripe. You know, that's always the key. All right, but that doesn't. I'll let her rest. I'll let her rest. But that doesn't mean that children aren't still watching on Monday nights and attending live wrestling shows with their parents. Tony Spinato of Abingdon brought his eight-year-old Dustin to a WCW event at the Baltimore Arena last March. There's a lot well, of verb. What, what 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 place is it of mine to tell mm-hmm. a parent how to parent their child? That's a good question. Yeah, that's not my business. My business is entertaining anybody who's in the audience, and if you think your child is fit to enjoy mature entertainment. More power to you, sir. More power to you. Tony Spinato of Abingdon brought his eight-year-old son, Dustin, to a WCW event at the Baltimore Arena last March. There's a lot of verbal things in there that I don't like him to hear, but it's not too bad, said Spinato, 33. The violence is there, but it's in everything on TV. You can't stop that. As he left his son in the seat, so we could go do a line of blow in the bathroom. Wow, how'd you see? I didn't send you the article. How'd you read that line? <laughs> I know things. There you go. That's kind of what. That's kind of like the beachhead of like, wow, wrestling's crazy now, huh? And that's right, starting to right. happen here in the spring of 1997. 
Uh, and before we dive even further and deeper into our past, boss, how about a how about a reflection on the past? How about this week's mm-hmm. quote on nostalgia? Oh, please. And we're talking about heroes. We're talking about anti-heroes. We're talking about the nature of heroes and the role nostalgia may play in those heroes. Thinking back on the 80s, right, to inform what mm-hmm. we think of what a hero is in the 90s. We need binaries. We need um, we need things to contrast with. We There is no meaning except in contrast with something else. And so Henry David Thoreau, the... the Powerful. Great, yes, yes. The great... American writer and man of the Massachusetts woods, a grown man, if there ever was one in the United States of America, writes, the past is only so heroic as we see it. It is the canvas on which our idea of heroism is painted. And so, in one sense, the dim prospectus of our future field. Our circumstances answer to our expectations <clears throat> and the demand of our natures. You know, you know what I love mm-hmm. is that every time we remind ourselves and the members of the lapsed fan solar system that nostalgia is not healthy. Yes. Well, I, I mean... If it makes you so fucking bummed out about the current state of things, it's it's hard to argue. Yeah. And it's easy to see. But what yeah. Thoreau's getting at there is that the the it's in our nature to paint the past with a with a brush of heroism. Yeah. It's it there is there is no other way to create an idea of heroism except on the canvas of the past. You can't <laughs> You can't visualize a... Or the canvas of the ring. <laughs> well, yeah. That's, that's a whole different point. <laughs> and as he said, since the past is the canvas on which our idea of heroism is painted, what that also means is it also represents the dim outlook of, for our future. Because by, by splashing heroism on the past, we acknowledge necessarily... That what lies ahead is necessarily different, unpredictable, and somehow apart from that. We don't see a con- we don't see a continuum. We see breakpoints, and we. Oh my God, that hurts the soul. I mean, it's, the past is only so heroic as we see it, and I can attest to that, boss. I mean, we knew it used to be better, but when we scratched the surface about what was actually going on in this industry, I know. How can I know. We, how can we go around saying it used to be better when you, <laughs> you know when it's just like. It's fucking mayhem in the locker Ugh. room. People are drugging hard. I mean, we know what we mean. It's the performers were more calibrated. It's like to it's like it, it, it's like what we saw on television used to be better. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And what was happening the, back here? Clearly here, ready for this? Ready for this? Mm-hmm. This is what it was. Yeah. The facade used to be better. And I'm an American. I'm in it for the facade. <laughs> You're damn right. I mean, let's be I don't want to know here. the tr- I don't want to know the truth. No, I mean I, I want my fake news. I want It's not that I don't want the truth. It's that as George Carlin once said, I want my bullshit right out front where I can get a good whiff of it. A yeah. good whiff of it. What I'm offended is, is not what I'm offended by is not bullshit, but by the person who thinks they can hide the degree to which they're ah. full of shit because then it's a mission. 
then it's like a dog with a bone, because I will detect, I will find, I will uncover, I will diagnose the bullshit at the heart of the matter. But if you're upfront about your bullshit, <clears throat> Trump, America's here for you, and it's yours for the taking. Mm-hmm. Just like Bill Clinton. That, that, that Carlin line was, was about the Clinton presidency and was said during the Clinton yeah. presidency. Oh, wow. They elected and reelected him because they, they said, you know what? He's completely full of shit, but at least he's honest about it. Yeah. Holler at your boy on that. And so, you know, there was a, a great quote, um, interesting quote. I won't say it was great in any kind of objective way, but uh, that John Cena gave because as luck would have it or his circumstance, uh, circumstance. As a oh, coincidence yeah. would have it, he was asked about the Chris Benoit tragedy uh, last week in Australia in a news interview or something. And uh, just as we, of course, were diving into that whole thing and examining it from every angle. And, and the way he put it uh, was pretty interesting because it, it, <coughs> it does speak to, the, to what you just said about, about, you know, what ended up on television is what used to be better. And that's all we've right. ever argued. You know, <laughs> I mean, remember we got that call out about like, you know, everybody used to be doing drugs and dropping dead. You're going to say that was better? It's like, yes, my man, my man, I don't know what it was. I don't think that had anything to do with why the performers understood so much better what we needed to see and right. feel and experience as wrestling fans to give a shit about this thing. The thing that has been at the heart of wrestling that has made it successful for 100 years that is slowly being watered down and only kept alive by uh, people who remember and were in tune and are in tune with that that feeling that wrestling's supposed to give you, but they asked him about it, <clears throat> and they basically asked, you know, what do you think about the WWE completely forgetting Chris Benoit and erasing his his in-ring televised accomplishments uh, because of what he did off-screen and out of the ring and seen as... But they don't, yeah, either. Well, I know. And I hope the questioner wasn't asking that towards a, a frame of mind that somehow it's unjust and ought to be reversed, because that is a losing perspective, and that is a losing yeah. argument. But Cena had a quote, he said... That's a very difficult question, and I'll answer it like this. Oftentimes, we get caught up in a person's ability in their performance, and this transcends WWE. It is a problem with sport. He said sport. And a problem with entertainment. People will do bad things, but if they're good at what they do, sometimes those things are overlooked. I don't believe in that. I think you should take ownership in your actions, all of them, not just the ones that are performed in front of an audience. I think our company's stance on the entire situation is to set a precedent of athletics and a precedent of entertainment. Taking ownership why, of your actions. Why, why is he saying that? Why is he saying athletics? Why is he using that S word? Yeah, that's sport. The fuck's going on around here? Right. Yeah, Cena hits a total PR home run. Handles the question more brilliantly than any wrestler could ever hope for. That you could ever hope a wrestler could. And Vince is worried about the fact that he said sports. I don't like sport. No. Where's the entertainment word? <laughs> Do you mean where's the word entertainment? <laughs> That's an odd way of putting it. That's all I'm saying. I, I didn't ask your opinion on my whatever. So, 1997 King of the Ring. Is it not fascinating, <clears throat> boss, to think about yes. this? Okay, the the backstage headache that Shawn Michaels huh? was at this point of in point in time, yes. Yes. and and the 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 sows uh, and the um the seeds of resentment that it sowed with Bret Hart. Uh huh. Um, kind of had their roots a year prior during the curtain call incident, May 1996 in Madison Square Garden, where <laughs> Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, before leaving for the WCW, um, 
just totally broke kayfabe, even though some were baby faces and some were heels, and embraced in the middle of the ring all five members yeah. of the clique raising their hand. Now, we know Shawn Michaels is WWF champion and top dog, suffered absolutely no political consequences or discipline for this, but the hammer came down on Triple H, the lowest man on the clique totem pole, so to speak. Yeah. And, um, and he suffered. He was to win the 1996 well, King of the Ring. He was the only one left. Yeah, plus he was the only one they could swing at that was within reaching distance. Um, and so he was supposed to win the 1996 King of the Ring. They took that away from him, and thank God they did, as it anointed Stone Cold Steve Austin and made them hundreds of millions of dollars. But with Triple H, um, he was kind of in the w- waiting in the wings, and as we'll talk about, though he won the 1997 King of the Ring, it, it wasn't like it was any long-drawn-out plan that he will get his the next year. In fact, until just a few weeks before the show, um, Triple H wasn't even booked in the uh, to advance in the bracket of the King of the Ring, <laughs> 1997. But the point is, Shawn Michaels being able to do that and incur the wrath of so many people backstage yet suffer no consequence for it is kind of seen as what planted the seed for the kind of behavior that he would exhibit in the months later, the kind of, you know, basically fly by the seat of your pants, do whatever you feel in the moment, constantly, yeah. you know, constantly lash out at people for uh, small infractions, small imperfections, and blame them for anything you perceive went wrong, you know, totally exaggerating um, how big of a deal things were in terms of minor screw-ups on television and in presentation, and mm-hmm. just basically being a head case backstage, never wanted a job to anybody, always finding a way out of doing jobs, saying you'll do something, and when the time comes, throwing a fit, being on pills, all the rest. So, it's interesting that a year later, the guy who took the fall for that, Triple H, is winning the King of the Ring, and Shawn Michaels is returning to the locker room to light that match again. It's like, who won that fucking thing when all is said and done? Holy shit. No wonder they did. No wonder they did that, and no wonder that's looked back upon yeah. fondly. Everyone involved in the curtain call won. Like, you wouldn't believe they all won. And just a year later, Triple H is in pole position somehow, even though that was never planned, with Shawn Michaels pulling some of the strings behind the scenes, no doubt. And, and Shawn's back to wreak even more havoc in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And it's, it all stems from there. And, and look at the other side, too. Look at that. The, the, other, the other three guys are making millions of dollars yep. in the other company and literally turned business around by, you know, leaving the WWE. And the fact that they are making those millions of dollars is what creates brand new leverage for guys like Shawn Michaels to do whatever the fuck they want, and oh. as soon as Vince has a problem with it, threat, threaten to leave. And uh, Vince was over the whole, if you want to go to WCW, go. If you can get a better deal, go mentality around this point in time. As we'll talk about, Shawn Michaels straight up asked for permission, so to speak, or release or dispensation to go to WCW. And Vince, what a bizarre what a bizarre thought that is. Isn't it? Shawn Michaels in WCW. Oh, my God. And uh, Vince said no um, to his face, and we'll get into all that. But it just struck me that that's a full circle thing. We go from the curtain call and every, what everybody thought would be the consequences of that to Shawn Michaels still running the show backstage, still yep. doing whatever the yep. fuck he wants, and Triple H um, right back where he would have been before they penalized him the year before as king of the ring. So Jesus. <laughs> let us look at all perspectives. Um, you know from prior shows on 97 that Shawn Michaels, as you talked about, boss, relinquished his title in February 97, lost his smile, and thus wasn't um, able to make the WrestleMania match, the rematch with Bret Hart, where he was to return the favor. Uh, kind of a new wrinkle in 
researching this precise point in time that I realized was not that Sean and Brett was on for WrestleMania 13 in a rematch for the championship, but in fact, mm-hmm. it was to be the co-feature to Undertaker versus Sid, which Vince had decided on at some point early in 1997. So what, what, <sighs> yeah, there was, um, so what Sean walked away from was not losing the belt to Brett, but just losing to Brett at WrestleMania 13. And pretty much the same point in the card that Austin and Hart ended up going second from the top, I'd imagine. So I think that's interesting to sort of expand the aperture of the blame game on that one to Vince McMahon as well for, you know, creating a situation where it wasn't even a title match and the hurt feelings that came with that. It wasn't even the main event. Um, And perhaps making it even, even less of a, uh, even less of a big deal for Sean to just walk away and disappear for four months, which is what he did. And he reemerges in May. And as we talked about, he has this unbelievable return match, um, teaming with Steve Austin to beat Owen and Bulldog for the belts on Raw and then go into King of the Ring Fury. Go see it. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's such a good match. It's like... May 25th, 1997. What a fucking affair this thing is. And and it's it's also in evidence on the King of the Ring show, too, when he wrestles Steve Austin. Shawn Michaels is out there. Every step he takes is like a fuck you to somebody. Because he just has to show in every breathable moment well, of the match that he can I, do things no I, one else I, can I, do. I don't, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a fuck you to one person. Yeah. If you ask me. Sure, it's sure. One person he's saying fuck you to. Uh, 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 um, you know, it's like, because it, 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 it's, it always cracks me up how many times they, like, because you didn't, this is the thing too, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have, like, yes, Michaels comes back from da-da-da-da, but they mention every time he gets in the ring that they thought he would have had some ring rust from his knee injury. But he didn't have any ring rust. He's looking just fine. Why say that? I know. Why say that unless you're purposely trying to draw attention to the fact that there was no knee injury. That there's this there's this fuck you feature to having no knee injury and flipping around the ring. There's this, like... There's this discrepancy. There's this plot hole yeah. that, I mean, you're you're really waving in the face of Bret Hart. Yes. Well, it goes back to what we talked about on the Cold Day in Hell show, if you remember, boss. Right now, it's really becoming clear, and Bret's picking up on it in his book, looking back at this time period as well, that the WWF is kind of taking Shawn Michaels' side and kind of looking at Bret Hart as the, the bitch here. You know, the person who can't stop complaining, the person who is... Um, is the party not to be backed when it comes to, you know, the party to be given the pat line and the pat on the head. But really, mm-hmm. they're, in, they're in concert with Shawn Michaels and what Shawn Michaels wants to do and what Shawn Michaels feels is right for him in his career and, and much more willing to accept Shawn negatively characterizing Brett than Brett negatively characterizing Shawn. And, you know, when he's mm-hmm. out there doing those things and flaunting the fact that the, the injury was 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 specious to say the least in the first place um and they're back mm-hmm. they're backing them up by broadcasting that to me what they're doing is you know it's mostly just trying to make a, a television presentation out of real backstage tension which is always you know a good direction to go in if you play it right but they're also kind of saying to brett we think it's funny too that he's doing this 
we think it's kind of worth we think it's fodder you know we don't think it's like horribly insulting because Brett took this incredibly personally that Sean wouldn't return the favor because he thought he was as sort of gentlemanly as can be in the way he lost to him at WrestleMania 12 and and you know the the pledge that came with that that at some point the odds would be evened and Sean completely refusing to Brett's face to do it when the time came which you know that we know where that's all headed but then you've got the announcers on yeah. television making kind of storyline fodder out of the idea that the that the injury doesn't appear to have been anything and they're almost yucking it up <clears throat> you know if I'm Brett I'm kind of looking around right. and I'm like who's which which narrative is prevailing here I don't get it you know do you guys think it's funny and cool and interesting that that whole thing was a lie cuz I don't think it's funny or interesting and so, you know, because the Brett Austin stuff is so well told and presented on TV, and the Michaels Brett stuff is impossible to decode unless you know all this backstage stuff. You know, I know it really is. It's so hard to really see the real stuff. Yep. As much as, you know, yeah. It's like every week. It's like what, we know Brett and Sean really hate each other, but they just they never cross paths because they're they're being kept away from each other because it's such an awkward political dynamic in terms of how they're going to bring them together, whether they should, considering Brett has this knee injury and they can't, they're not really sure if they can pull the trigger on a match between the two or a match that's kind of befitting what should be a really big mm-hmm. thing. So it is, it's very, it's very jarring for the fan because it's like everything Brett does is kind of a shot at Sean and everything Sean does is a, is a shot at Brett, yet they never really cross paths on the television screen that often um, come May, come June. Right, right. <clears throat> So this is how Sean in his book addresses his return to the ring and uh, through King of the Ring um, in this whole saga post losing his smile, which we've uh, which we touched on in our final four episode. My rehab from his, this from his book this is from the Sean Michaels book Heartbreak and Triumph. Correct. <clears throat> My rehab went well, and I returned to the ring on May 25th, wrestling in a tag team championship match with Steve against the title holders Owen Hart and Davy Boy Smith. I couldn't wait to get back in the ring. I flew around all over the place and put on one of my best performances. Early on in the match, I did my backflip off the top, and I did it for a very specific reason. I knew that everyone, including Brett, was saying that I faked my knee injury to get out of putting him over at WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. I wanted to rub it in their face. Every time I heard rumors about me, I made sure I did something to stick it to the guys who were spreading them. Wow. Someone started spreading rumors that I was refusing to lose to people, so I started walking around the locker room bragging that I wouldn't do jobs. I was teasing and egging them on. It was my method of getting back at them. Of course, it was then reported that I was going around bragging about not doing jobs. It seemed so pathetic to me that grown men would go running to dirt sheets and spreading gossip rather than confronting me with any problems they might have had. As my problems with Brett wore on, I told him, if you have a problem with me, say it to my face. Don't go around. Talking behind my back. <coughs> Jack. People can accuse me of being a lot of things, but they can't accuse me of not being a man. I was always honest. Oh, God. Sometimes maybe too Jesus honest. Christ. Oh, he's just too honest. That's what he is. You know, they're, the, the PC culture isn't ready for Shawn Michaels. That's the problem. I see. I was always honest, maybe too honest, and that's why I think a lot of guys didn't like me. The truth is not always popular, and neither was I. Oh, he is the truth. Ooh. 
By the time I wrestled in the tag match, Brett and I had nearly reached the breaking point. He had said bad things about my folks and apologized, but now he had gone on to stir things up by telling the dirt sheets and others that I had faked my injury and retired before WrestleMania 13 in order to avoid putting him over. He'd also been lambasting me in his promos on television. Once again, he came to me and apologized for stirring things up. We were at a TV taping, and we were talking in the back. He said things had gotten out of hand. I told him, you've done nothing but bury me, and I don't say anything. I looked him right in the eye and said, Brett, I've got nothing to lose. Look at me. I have no life. What? If you do it again, then I'm taking the gloves off. You can't do anything to me. You can't hurt me. You can say whatever you want about me, and I'll say it's true. The difference between you and me is that I'll admit to all the stuff that I do wrong. I don't hide it. But if you keep uh, screwing yes. with me, that's it. I had heard enough of the I'm sorry's. I was tired of him trying to work me and talk about me to other people. These are grown men, boss. Who, Children. Who presumably can make double the money if they cooperate in this put on for the people. Not, let's not forget who his best friends are. Seriously. Okay. How could you forget at this point? They're who we call the 40-year-old teenagers. <laughs> it's just hurt feelings. It's like it's like a bunch of Kanye Wests. It's just like hurt feelings all the time. Everyone's feelings are hurt. These are supposed to be hard men. These are supposed to be guys who are getting together to work the people to line their pockets and doing whatever the fuck will make people part with their money and, and kind of protect their rep. But they, they get so obsessed with this idea of how far it can go to quote-unquote bury someone in the back. Like, really? Oh like, how... Even if it's happening, how how really manifest can that be made on the television screen? You know, they act like business is business, but it's not because business gets totally derailed by these backstage tiffs. Yeah, it really yeah. is like two actors fighting in the trailer and then refusing to come on the set. I don't right. know if it happens, but I have the feeling it happens a lot less in real entertainment than it does in wrestling, where there's this, you know, it's because all the paranoia is also laced with this fear that you're not really a tough guy and the other guy might beat your ass in public and. Also, also, it's a it's a fear of positioning. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's afraid of their spot. I'm going to lose my spot. I don't want to lose my spot. Spot, spot, spot. High spot. Low spot. Work, work, work. <laughs> Sounds like a children's book. <laughs> All right. See spot, spot. <laughs> work. I don't like getting caught up in all that gossip and dirt. Oh, yeah, Sean. Yeah. I think okay. it's cruel. I get no jollies out of telling somebody he sucks. He's only worth one star or this or that. And I don't like people who don't know me telling me how to do my job. Okay. Are you sure you don't like telling people they suck? I mean, Sean, there's no difference between telling someone they suck to their face and, and being the most passive-aggressive person in the history of pro wrestling. <laughs> you want to know how Sean tells someone they suck? Go find a shoot interview with Rob Van Dam makes fun of and imitates Shawn Michaels in like the passive-aggressive way he issues compliments after a match. Amazing. The same thing with Scott Hall, you know? Yep. He, he just like, you know, under the guise of advice, he'll fucking just take you apart just to amuse himself, you know? Just to feel like he's 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 spinning you around in the locker room, you know? Great finisher. Because that promotes good morale. Yeah, right. Because you don't want good morale because that doesn't keep your, your pockets lined, you know? Brett was such a hypocrite, Sean writes. He said it was over. We shook hands, and I thought we had finally put it all behind us. 
Brett and I were scheduled to do an interview segment. It was supposed to be a wrestling promo. He talks bad about me, and then I talk bad about him. That's how it works. Well, he went on this tirade and just didn't stop. It was a while before I got my rebuttal in. As I made my way backstage, someone told me that he had gone so long they had to go off the air before I spoke. So the whole time, viewers saw me standing there looking like an idiot. I was furious. He had done it to me for the last time. I was now going to take the gloves off. If you don't know, by the way, that's... What a little bitch! You know what that is, right? That moment he's talking about? Um, yeah, I, I think so, but remind me. That's the one where um, this, the climax is supposed to be him super-kicking Brett out of the wheelchair to set up King of the Ring. Oh, yeah. But And even though everyone's seen that clip, because they did film it, if you watched Raw live that night, you did not see the super-kick. All you saw as they had to go off the air was Brett continuing to rant on Sean while he stood there. And the whole comeuppance was supposed to be him wow. eating the superkick. So Sean and his paranoid world, and who knows, maybe Brett did it on purpose, I don't know, is thinking that Brett purposely kept gabbing and gabbing so he couldn't get his spot in on, t- on the television show. And it was a double cross. That's what I mean. These guys aren't even working a match together in the paranoia. They're, they're standing in the ring for 15 minutes talking one mm-hmm. physical spot. That's all yep. they have to do. And it turns into like the mind fuck, psych, you know, armchair psychologist session of the century. So he's pissed. He's going to take the gloves off. He had pushed and pushed and pushed me some more. It was like the kids teasing me about my name when I was in elementary school. If you keep pushing me, I'm going to eventually fight back. Kevin and I used to needle okay. folks. Kevin and I used to needle folks. Needle folks. Needle. Oh, we're needling. Oh, we're needling. Jack, I got needle, news for needling. you. That's a needle, Jack. Hey, you know what? We're just going to fucking needle you a little bit. Just fucking with you. But we weren't malicious. Jesus. Right, Kev? We weren't malicious. Uh-uh. Ah, look. Look. <laughs> It's all entertainment. We're just having a good time, just making you one of the boys. Like, I'm not, like, malicious. I mean, look, if you can't handle it, you can't handle it. But, <laughs> fuck. But I'm not going to change who I am. Look I'm, look, I'm not asking you to change who you are. But the next thing I do wrong... Don't ask be... me to change who I am. The next thing I do wrong right. will be the first I thing. I ain't changing for nobody. I fucking admit everything that I do wrong. Really? Name one. Right? Like, I can't help it if I'm just... Go ahead. Name one thing you've ever done wrong in your life. I think I took the belt off of, uh, off of, uh, off of Scott, the IC title, a little too early. I think we should have waited about a week. Back in 94. Well, you get the high ground on that one, Kev. That's irrefutable proof. The fuck? That's not even your decision, for Christ's sakes. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, look. Look, I mean, yeah, we certainly were able to give advice. It's the beauty of of the whole business is just being able to, to talk about things. And I, I'm an honest guy. All right, I tell it like it is. You had no reason to bullshit. Thanks, Kev. <laughs> oh, at least I'm laughing and not yelling. That's always a good day at the office. <laughs> All right, Sean. I didn't want to work with Bret Hart, but there was no cruelty there. 
The whole time he was on top, I did nothing but support him and do what I could to make business better. Mm. When I had my opportunity, he did nothing but try and tear me down and hurt me, and no matter how many times he apologized, it never ended. He was insensitive, selfish, spoiled, and cruel. All the things that he claimed I was, he was in spades. I know I am, but what about you? If what is it? What is it? Um, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? Is that what it yes. is? Yes. Yes. I know you are, but what am I? The next week, I cut a televised promo on him and made the comment that he had been seeing sunny days, boss. Oh. Sunny days. Exposing what I believed was his secret relationship with Tammy Sitch, aka Sunny. Many in the locker room found it to be very amusing, but Brett didn't speak to me for a couple of weeks. During that time, you could feel the tension in the dressing room. Occasionally, we would be in there together, but we never talked. I wasn't very good at handling it, and being the lightning rod that I was, I openly mocked the mood. Feel the tension in here? I would yell. You oh. can cut the tension with a knife. You picture that Why? him. He's the guy that like wants everybody to laugh when he's like bullying somebody. And it's like, nobody's laughing, man. Like, come on. <sighs> the only people who are laughing are people Dude. who are like afraid to be on your bad side, and that's not a real laugh. Right. People are, because they're scared. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Can't wait to come to work. Uh, you know, exemplar behavior for the top guy. Can't wait to be That's you right. one day. On June 9th, we, 1997, we had a television taping in Hartford. This is the night after the 1997 King of the Ring boss. <clears throat> I was in the dressing room when he came up to me and said, I just want to say, I cut him off before he could finish. Don't talk to me. You haven't said a word to me for three weeks. What is here? Is this your wife? Oh my God! Is this, is this your wife? Seriously? If you can't talk to me for three weeks, I don't want to talk to you now. Jesus! Ah! Oh. Sounds like one of the Nancy Benoit texts. <laughs> I don't think Brett was used to people talking like that to him. About five minutes later, I was turning around to get some gear out of my bag, and I felt somebody push me from behind. Of course, it was from behind. I turned around and Brett asked, What's your fucking problem? You, I yelled. He tried to punch me, but I peeled back and he missed. He pushed me again, and this time I stood up. He swung again and missed. The next thing I knew, he went for a double leg dive. I caught him around the upper body, and we went straight back through a piece of paneling. We each had each other in front face locks when Pat Patterson and Davy Boy came over and grabbed us. Pat was yelling, Come on, you guys! I let go, and Brett yanked a hand full of my hair off my head. Well, that's where the bald spot came from. That's where the bald spot came from. June 9th, Hartford, Connecticut, in the locker room. It finally boils over between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. That hurt like heck, but I didn't retaliate. The fight was over. I went storming into Vince's office and told him, I'm out of here. This is BS. I saw Aldo Montoya, who later wrestled here as Just Incredible, and asked him if he'd give me a ride back to my hotel. He wasn't working that night, so he took me. I missed the show and flew home the next day. Vince sent my lawyer, Skip McCormick, who I had hired when I found out about Brett's contract, a letter stating that I had violated my contract. Skip responded by writing a letter claiming that WWE had failed to provide a safe working environment. Safe working environment. Oh, my God. In professional wrestling. I can't with this fucking Did guy. Did Barbara Goodish file a lawsuit about, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on, man. <sighs> Skip told me that they were trying to blame everything on me, but once he wrote the letter, it would be back in their lap, and they would ask to come, ask me to come back. That's exactly what happened. In a few weeks, we had settled everything, and I was back. As far as I know, nothing happened to Brett as a result of the fight. Steve Austin and I were still tag team champions when Brett and I fought. 
Vince didn't know what was going to happen with me after the fight. So while the lawyers went back and forth, he and Jim Ross announced on television that I had been suspended for four to six weeks and that a tag team tournament would be held, with the winner getting a shot at Steve and a partner of his choice, who turned out to be Dude Love. So random. Like, it just happens out of nowhere. I know. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, Dude Love comes on the scene, right? Remember that? Yep. And it was like they did a reset of the Sean-Steve tag match. Against Bulldog and Owen, they just did well. It with- it's weird. It's it's extremely weird. If you want to get, uh, I'll tell you something, because I actually just started watching mm. the Raw after Canadian Stamp, maybe two weeks after, after Canadian Stampede. It's a bizarre thing. If you want to know, if you want to hit that, because that's that's where right that that's the night that that dude love becomes the tag team partner. That's right. And at the beginning of the show, it's a big Heart Foundation promo. They're setting up SummerSlam. And Austin comes out on the stage alone, you know, because the whole mystery is who's he going to choose as his partner. Then Ken Shamrock comes out. Yes. Then um, Del Wilkes come out, comes out. Fucking Patrick comes out. Wow. Then, are you ready for this? Then Psycho Sid comes out. Oh, my God. There's a team. And and then, lastly, Shawn Michaels comes out. What? And these five men are on the ramp. And the idea being, is one of these guys going to be Steve Austin's tag team partner? And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck? Like, if Michaels is there. Shawn was the tag team championship partner. He was the tag team partner. (laughs) It's it's very bizarre. Oh my god! Yet ninety seven was such a great year for creative, right? Yeah. Hey, creative managing of chaos, maybe. It's still the fucking. I'll tell you. For some reason, for the most part, their storylines are rock solid. They figured it out. They knew how to pivot. They fucking. They knew how to. They knew how to make turn the chaos into fucking. They worked on it. They didn't just shit. say. They didn't just say. Oh well, bad hand dealt. Doesn't really matter. Fans won't notice. We'll just pivot. They they tried to find ways to bridge gaps. They they felt anxiety yeah. about not bridging gaps, you know. So anyway, <clears throat> spent a four to six weeks. Okay, and the and uh, Mick Foley, the four to six weeks announcement gave them the necessary cover to figure out what was going to happen with me. While I was off, I told Vince that I wanted to leave. I asked him to let me out of my contract and let me go to WCW and be with my buddies. I was miserable. Vince wanted to talk with me in person, <coughs> so we flew down to San Antonio, and we met at the Embassy Suites Hotel near the San Antonio airport. My dad was concerned about me and wanted to come to the meeting, so he came to the meeting, too. Before we could even talk about me wanting to leave, Vince looked right at me and said, I think you have a problem with prescription pills. Wow. My son doesn't have a drug problem, my dad responded. Yeah. I told my parents that I didn't have a problem, and they took me at my word. The truth was, though, I was escaping through the pills. <laughs> Whenever they were available. In retrospect, I realize I did have a problem. But at the time, I didn't think so and wasn't going to admit it. After the uncomfortable exchange, I asked for my release. Just let me go, Vince. I'm miserable. I'm making everybody else miserable. You don't want to go there. They don't know. All these fucking excuses. Bitch, 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 bitch. You don't want to go there. They don't know how to use a guy like you. It will drive you nuts. I know you're going through a tough time now, but it will be worse for you down there. Look, 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 look. I've got a plan, all right? I've been planning this for five years now. I'm going to screw Brett. <laughs> oh, shit. Right? That's what started? This. That's way before since, since, the conventional timeline. 
since, since, since 1992, before the Royal Rumble. That son of a bitch almost fucked me. I want to fuck him. Nice. I want you to be a part of it. And then you'll feel better. <laughs> Details to come. I miss my friends, I said. And you won't let me travel with Hunter. It's just not fun anymore. I don't want to do this if I can't have fun. He's a bad guy. We don't have shades of gray yet. <laughs> really? You just told the Baltimore Sun you did. That's for press. I see. <clears throat> Pressing matters. I don't want to do this if I can't have fun, I told him. Vince responded, we need to make it fun again then. I told this is work. Work's not fun. Right. That's what he's thinking, not what he's saying, though. You think I have fun doing this shit? Right. Promoting this bullshit that my bullshit dad used to do. My bullshit dad. What a great adjective for a dad. My bullshit dad. I hate my life, Sean. That's right. And you should hate yours, too, because that's what a man does. Men hate lives. <laughs> Not their lives. Lives writ large. I'm a miserable man. I wallow in sadness. It's the life we chose. That's right. Don't let him off that fucking hook, Vince. And but in come January, you're going to arrange those chess pieces so that motherfucker takes a ride onto a casket. Just remember, you've got that in the back of your your back pocket. You've got to see it through. I promise you this, Sean. No matter what, I'll never purposely harm you. Or your back. <laughs> and if you do happen to accidentally hurt your back, you can take time off. And I won't make you wrestle <laughs> in severe pain. Vince likes, to do, Vince likes to do it this way. Conceive of exactly what he's going to do down to the most minute detail and then tell the person I will never do this. In, in those minute details. And then wait until they do something that could be perceived as a violation of the covenant, as a violation of the contract, and then go fucking hog wild on exactly what you said you wouldn't do. Well, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain first, therefore my word goes up like smoke, and here it is right in the fucking ass. And, 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 as, and as someone put on the Twitter, for, in a quote from Vince from, from the 98 Rumble, well, Sean... You signed up to die. <laughs> a lot of good Skip McCormick did him, right? What a barrister this fucking guy is. All right, we need to make it fun again then. I told him Brett's contract was still bothering me. Oh, he's bothered. It's always been important to me to be recognized by my industry that I am one of the best. And at that point, I felt I was the best performer in the industry. I didn't understand how you could be better than someone at something, but only get half of what he got. Vince knew... That I, no wonder they hated Brett Boss. He was costing him too much money. Anybody yeah. who makes that much money right. in a company that's financially strapped, eventually the worm's going to yeah. turn and hey. everyone's going to look at him as the problem. Sean, I hate Brett too for making that much money. Right, exactly. exactly. Pisses me off as well. Right. No, I, I'm, I'm, I feel the exact kind of resentment for all the boys in the back. Brett's making too much fucking money. You agreed to it, Vince. Fuck him. But you agreed to it. What? Why is it his fault? You signed the contract. I mean, look, I don't, 
you're 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 gonna pay him that much for twenty. Is wrong. I mean, I you agreed to pay him that for twenty look, years. You're gonna do you that, right? We're only a year in. I didn't agree to anything. I did. <laughs> what? Your signature is on the contract. I don't sign contracts. All right. He's in charge of his own contract. That's your me. out. That's your out. I didn't sign it. Didn't sign it. Didn't sign it. I didn't look. I'm on. I'm with you. He's making more money than I am. I mean, what a fucking asshole, Brett. Fuck him. <laughs> and now he's just mumbling out curse words. I'm gonna fuck him. You <laughs> fucking Brett. Stupid bitch. Family and Mr. Hickenbottom's like, uh, Mr. McMahon, can we get back to business? Can you not just sit here and mumble at the San Antonio airport? What? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I gotta go. <laughs> no, that's not how it ended. Uh, Vince knew that I was frustrated <laughs> with the situation and explained how WCW had taken so many of his top guys that his back was against the wall and he had no choice but to sign Brett to the big deal. He told me the same thing he told me when I went through the steroid debacle. Sometimes you have to learn to eat crap and like the taste of it. But he also made it clear that he didn't think Brett would see the end of the contract. Ooh, read, read that one again. But he also made it clear that he didn't think Brett would see the end of the contract. Yes. Brett's such a mark for believing in his 20-year deal. The bottom line, I just don't think you're as valuable. You know, I know you're not going to go anywhere because you're a coward. You'll just stay with me because I'm a better father figure than your father. Yes, that's right. Or that yeah, Mexican but... guy you train with. What the fuck his name is? He says it while his father's right there. This man <laughs> pretends to be your father. I'm your father. I give you your weekly allowance. Your paycheck. Yeah. He doesn't do that anymore. Well, look at it this way, Sean. He gave up that privilege. Look at it this way, Sean. Who really can heal all of your wounds? Is it that man or is it this man right here? I think we both know the answer. Who's willing to stab somebody in the back for you? That's right. Me? You're quoting this quote, fucking Dad? loser. Yes, he's a fucking loser. Give it to him, Vince. Fuck him. What's he doing here telling you're, telling you he doesn't have a his son doesn't have a bullshit drug problem? Biological bitch. Right. <laughs> Me. Flip the table on him. Fuck you, Hickenbottom. <laughs> he calls him a biological bitch. I like this boss. Vince is Sean's real father. Like, you know, in the strictest sense, not in the biological sense, but like, he does so many more fatherly things for Sean. I had sex with your mother. (laughs) You're mine. But but I was already born. Vince. What? I know you had sex with my mom, but I was already Uh, born. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, um... But just, just imagine. Yeah. That I'm your father. Okay. Not this, this two-bit ass clown. Yes, this bitch. This, this, this stupid Texas bitch. <laughs> this is a proud Air Force veteran. This guy doesn't fuck around. And Vince is looking him in the face and calling him a Texas bitch. Yes. Yes. Give him that taste. He doesn't understand what it's like to be a real parent. No, he doesn't, Vince. What is it like? Tell him. What's the sacrifice? Giving. (laughs) 
<laughs> we go, we're getting deep and dark on that fucking cast. King of the Ring 97. Your soul giving you what I want. <laughs> giving you what I want? What does that even mean? Giving you what I want. I want to be able to do what you do. Uh, I'm giving you that opportunity. There it is again. I give you dreams. I make your dreams become reality. This man mocks you by his, his own existence. He's a son of a bitch. <laughs> I love how this one from Brett to being all about his dad. <laughs> and this, how this dad is the real problem. He just fucking met him 25 minutes ago. He. <laughs> He's put all his eggs in his basket. He thinks this he is the puts way. you down. He thinks that you are a failure. How do you know that, Vince? He never Fox said you. that to me. He called me. <laughs> he told me. He called me to tell me you're a failure. And he also sung quite a different tune about whether or not you have a drug problem in a private phone conversation with me, I'll have you know. He said, he said, my son has a problem on the phone call, on problem with drugs. I said, no. I don't believe it. My son. No, my, son. my son is a real man. My son, his only problem is with how good he is in the ring. Your son doesn't exist. Yeah. That's right. You're a worthless slug of a bitch. <laughs> I should have known when I... When I knew I was going to read the excerpt mentioning Sean's dad, that he was going to get yanked right into this world. I knew it. He couldn't remain a peripheral character for long. He just this... sits there, doesn't say a word, just takes it. Yes, he does. You're damn right, you don't say a damn word. You have nothing to say because you know it's all true. Really sp- Worthless slime. He spits in his face. <laughs> Get on your fucking plane and crash. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sean's sitting there. He's like, well, Dad, I mean, he's got a point. And this, he's in like a muscle tee. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> yeah, you better go. <laughs> I got news for you, Dad. Yeah. He makes air quotes when he says Dad, by the way. Vince knew that I was frustrated. Come here, son. <laughs> I love you. Wow. Vince knew that I was frustrated with the situation and explained how WCW had taken so many of his top guys that his back was against the wall and he had no choice but to sign Brett to the big deal. Okay. He made it clear he didn't think Brett would see the end of the contract. The company couldn't afford to pay him that much for such a long time. You can say that one over and over and over again. That's (laughs) fucking amazing. One more time. But he also made it clear that he didn't think Brett would see the end of the contract. The company couldn't afford to pay him that much for such a long time. Finn said, we'll make this work. We'll get you back to enjoying wrestling and continue to build on it. Tell me how. I knew enough that the way I was going was no way to live. He just said, we'll work through it. By the end of our conversation, I think we were drawn closer to each other. I felt better. And now I didn't want to leave. I knew things were going to change. I trusted Vince. Hmm. Well, I can't think of a more poetic transition point mm-hmm. than that. 
because while Sean's contemporaneous writing on this period concludes with, I knew things were going to change, I trusted Vince, what's the first words Brett writes in his book? Oh boy, I didn't, I didn't trust Vince. About this point in time. Vince told me he was still hoping that I'd be able to work with Sean at King of the Ring. My knee was sore and swollen and my recovery slow. If I was working with somebody I could trust, I thought I might be able to pull it off. The question was, could I trust Sean? What I should have been asking myself was, could I trust Vince? Yes. Okay, I want to repeat this. Sean Michaels, I knew things were going to change. I trusted Vince. Bret Hart... Could I trust Sean? What I should have been asking myself was, could I trust Vince? Something's happening, boss. The pieces mm-hmm. are in place mm-hmm. for a colossal fucking explosion. Brett continues. Raw from Newark, Delaware on May 12th opened with the hard foundation at the top of the ramp with me in my wheelchair praising them as the best that the WWF had to offer. They all seemed legitimately mm-hmm. touched when I borrowed a couple of lines from the Sebastian Fox War novel Birdsong to introduce them. I would take oh these men God. into the mouth of hell to fight the devil. I would trust these men to breathe for me and to pump my blood with their hearts. Jim the Anvil Nightheart, Davey Boy Smith, my lovable brother Owen, and Brian Pillman. We are the Heart Foundation. At the end of the show, with the idea that I'd soon be working with Sean at King of the Ring, I called Sean out to the ring. The last 30 seconds were supposed to be mine, and then Sean would give me his super kick, toppling me backward out of my wheelchair as the show went off the air. So this is the incident Sean wrote about as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the fan noise was so loud I couldn't hear my cue. Hmm. Instead of the show ending with Sean nailing me, we went off the air with me dressing him down. I felt bad about it, but Sean thought I did it on purpose and was furious. I told him that they had the footage of him <clears throat> kicking me out. What of... was the cue? Oh, I don't know. Something obviously aud- uh, audible and not visual. What do you? But what do you do? What do you fucking do? That's audible. Like I know. Wait, uh, Brett. Wait for the giant crash of plates. No, you know what it you is. Hear the place. The plates break. Mm-hmm. That's the go-home signal. I think what they were planning on doing was having Vince stand up at the commentary position, remove his headset, grab the house mic, and scream, Sean, kick him now! I think that was the cue they were thinking of. And should, uh, Brett just Do it, Sean! Do it now! Brett just couldn't hear it. Or they were going to have the ref pick up the mic and say, tell Sean to kick him, something like that. Okay. I told them that they had the footage of him superkicking me on my wheelchair, which they could replay all week on Vince's other shows, and they did over and over. On yeah. May 19th at Raw in Mobile, it's funny, Alabama. Yeah, like, that's all you remember. Is that, is that, you don't remember what fucking Sean, Brett said. All you remember is Sean doing the kick. And you certainly don't remember that it didn't end up being visible at the end of Raw. Not at all. Not at all. In um, fact, I feel like, I could be wrong, but I feel like they even re-edited the they probably show to air it on the network. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that at all. On May 19th at Ron Mobile, Alabama, Sean and I built more heat for our King of the Ring match, but because my knee still wasn't ready and I couldn't go long, Vince's idea was that I'd promise that if I didn't beat Sean in less than 10 minutes, I'd never wrestle in America again. Remember that, Stip Boss? Yeah. That's why they floated it, out of fear that Brett might not be able to go much longer. 
but they still wanted to get this match done. A Heart Foundation member would be handcuffed to each ring post, and of course one of them would free himself to ensure that I won just in the nick of time. During an in-ring interview at the first half of the night, Sean was groggy and slurring his words. Mm -hmm. As I climbed into the ring with the Heart Foundation to open the second half, Sean appeared on the big screen, wasted and suggested on live TV that I couldn't get it up for 10 minutes and that I'd been having some sunny days, a blatant oh. suggestion that I'd been sleeping with Sunny. I couldn't hear him well because it was so noisy in the ring, so the remark sailed right over my head. When the interview was over, most of the boys were seething at how unprofessional it was. Any hopes we had of working together went out the window. Sean was so out of it that night, Hunter and China had to help him out of the building. He must have been filming The Wizard of Oz, boss, right? <laughs> When I got home, Julie and Stu were upset about the sunny comment. But it wasn't until Dallas and all his... Uh, 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 um, Julie's his wife. Well, Go ahead. Well, you said Stu. I thought you said Stu. I know, I know. But Julie, oh. <laughs> I wanted to get no, that no. in before we got, went down the Stu <laughs> path. Go ahead. Um, well, uh, um, what, wait, wait, what was the... What, I, had... <laughs> I don't even remember. He was uh, upset about the sunny comment. Oh, I thought you said something else. I was going to make it about him making food. Okay. <laughs> and that's what he was it's like. I, I, no, no, it doesn't matter. Okay. I failed. But it wasn't until I failed. I failed. We'll get past it. But it wasn't until Dallas and all his school pals asked me whether I was doing stuff with Sonny that I realized that Sean had hurt my family. At that time, the pro wrestling code of honor was still clear. No man hurts another man's family. Jim Ross phoned me at home to apologize on behalf of, his, of the office and to promise that Sean's unprofessional behavior would be dealt with. I'd heard that line before. This time, I felt I had to do something to settle the score. Throughout that week, I brooded about what to do. I wondered about beating the hell out of Sean for real at the pay-per-view, but that could be mm. costly to the company if he got badly hurt, and I also had to be careful of my knee. I decided to tell Vince that I had to pull out of the pay-per-view because my knee wasn't ready. Vince had a plan. Stone Cold would finally catch me alone, flatten me, and bash the hell out of my knee, taking me out of the pay-per-view storyline and what would have been a clean win over Sean. And that is, by the way, what happens at the end of the Sean Steve Austin tag title win on Raw. Um, yeah. The Hart Foundation gangs up on Sean. Instead of helping Sean, Steve makes a beeline for the exposed Brett on the rampway and punches the knee over and over again. At the Raw in Huntington, West Virginia on June 2nd, I had an in-depth talk with Vince. He told me that the company was in financial peril and that he was only just hanging on. The next six months would either make him or break him. He said Ted Turner... Yeah, the um, mm -hmm. yeah, the company's in. Yeah, we're in, we're in, we're in deep shit, Brett. Deep shit. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't afford to um pay you anymore at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Can we talk about maybe bringing down the? The dollar amount, Vince, or something, so that you know. I understand you can't pay, um, pay me all of it. Nope, nope. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you, Brett. I mean, everyone's working for free now. That's just the way it is. You, you got you, no money. Vince, should I go to WCW? Nope. Should I call Eric back? Eric left a message last week. Talked about. Milk. Yep, you should go. Go ahead, bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, history doesn't reflect that. That's how it happened. But there you go. He said Ted Turner was hell-bent on putting him out of business, and he told me he might have no other choice but to restructure my contract. Of course, I'd still get every dime he owed me, but I'd get uh, it on the back so, end, years down the so road. Wanna, yeah, we're going we're gonna to restructure it so that... Um, yeah, how are we going to restructure here, here, What we're going to do. Mm -hmm. You're going to get nothing for 
about two years. And then after that, you get about a dollar a week. <laughs> and then it'll keep kind of increasing as time goes on. $52 a year? Are you shitting me? Where do I, I mean, sign? Brett, I mean, Brett, let's not be greedy. You've made quite a lot of money here. I've given you a fair amount of cash. All right? I've given you, look, I've given you shots at the belt. Yep. I've given you the championship right. four times. That's right. You did your best, but you're not a draw. That's right. Draws make the big money. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll bring in a guy named Draws, and he'll make the big money. <laughs> Write that one down real quick. Now, here's the thing. But in the meantime, you got to work for free until I can restructure your deal, but here's which the... may not happen. Here's the thing. So That's what Vince said to Brett. That's what Vince said to Brett. But what was he really planning, yeah. boss? Not that I will pay you nothing for two years and then if, go if a dollar could, a week. If we could, if we could, if we could, if we could, uh, if we could, rest- if we could, like go back and like it was the truth, Brett. I'm gonna screw you out of your job. I'm gonna fuck you on live TV, and I'm gonna make you an ass and completely devalue <laughs> everything you've ever created because you are a worthless, <laughs> arrogant, selfish. Son of a bitch. And I hate you, and I hate your fucking family. There you go. I knew there was some honesty that in there somewhere. It right? was, was in my head, right? It was my inner monologue. <laughs> what? <laughs> Give it to me, boss! What the fuck? Yes! <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, no choice but to restructure. And I hate Bruce, too. <laughs> He's a fucking asshole. Okay, years down the road, I'll get it on the back end. He added that he... <laughs> get it on the back end. It's kind of like the solar system, huh, boss? I'll tell you what. You'll get it on the back end, along with my boot in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a coy negotiator, you know? He really knows how to help thing, things go down easy. He added that he appreciated. smooth. <laughs> he added that he was he appreciated how hard I was working for him and told me not to worry about anything. I sure didn't want to receive the money owed owing to me now at the back end of my contract. Um, so I did call my lawyer to see what my options were. If Vince tried to do that kind of a move, but when it came right down to it, I didn't believe that he ever would. King of the Ring went down on June 8th, according to the new plan. The next day, we were all supposed to be at Ron Hartford. Sean was nowhere to be found. I happened to mention to Jim that as soon as I saw Sean... I suppose in a way he did. I suppose in a way he did give it all in the back end. It was a 20-year contract, and he came back less than 20 years later, probably made more money than he than he would have. There you go. Yeah, maybe he did get all of his owed. There you go. Maybe he got all of it. And he got royalties maybe on he the... he negotiated that plus interest. He got royalties on the DVD, too. Think about that. That sold oh, real well. See, look at that, Brett. You got it all, man. You got it all back, brother. Sean was nowhere to be found. I happened to mention to Jim that as soon as I saw Sean, I was going to straighten him out once and for all. I never thought Jim the Anvil Nightheart could be a voice of reason, but he got a worried look in his face and pleaded with me. You mean you mean, you mean like you mean like, like, like Sting was going to straighten out Stephen Regal? <laughs> oh, man, there's a callback. Great American Bash 95, much? <laughs> 96, 96. 96, thank you. 
pleaded with me, please, I just got back here. Don't do anything now. God, Brett, I need this job. Just forget about it. Jim looking out for numero uno. Good old Jim the Anvil. Yeah. Bret Hart's going to not attack Shawn Michaels to save Jim Neidhart's job in 1997. It's the hitman. Don't. I need the crack. (laughs) Well, he he knows how to come right out and say it. Don't. 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 Don't do it, Brett. I need the crack. I need to smoke with with Anvil. Mr. Hitman. Yeah. Please. Please. Oh, that came from the heart. Or somewhere else, somewhere deeper. Guttural, to say the least. I happen to mention, okay, I need this job, just forget about it. What could I say? I resigned myself to not beating the shit out of Sean. At about 6 p.m., I went into the bathroom to gel my hair before going across the hall to tape interviews. I was surprised to see Sean's reflection go by me in the mirror. I could see he was uptight, so I smiled and casually said, Hey, Sean. He cut me off. (laughs) Fuck you! (laughs) You haven't talked to me in over a fucking month. What makes you think I'm going to talk to you now? Even though I had hair... What a bitch. Isn't it interesting, too, the different ways they... They they frame up their dialogue at this point, you know. Like yeah. They both kind of recall the same thing, and the way Sean uh, quotes himself talking to uh, Brett. Let me. I'm pulling it back up here. Um, okay. Don't talk. Either to way, me. Sean sounds like a bitch. Oh, I know. I know. I just. I, this is going to be fun. Okay. Let me. Let me put my finger right on where. Okay. <clears throat> hey, Sean is what Brett says. Okay. Now he says. Hey, Sean. Brett asked, Sean says that Brett asked, what's your fucking problem? (laughs) Is there a big difference? Okay. Okay, he said, Brett said to him, I just want to say, and that he cut him off and said, don't talk to me. You haven't said a word to me for three weeks. If you can't talk to me for three weeks, I don't want to talk to you now. Three weeks, hyper-specific. How Brett remembers it is he smiles and says, hey, Sean. And then he goes, fuck you! you that's what he said sean said fuck you <laughs> fuck you conspicuous by its absence in sean's recounting you haven't talked to me in over a fucking month what makes you think i'm going to talk to you now even though i had hair gel over my hands i was primed to go back to my original plan but sean vanished through the doorway past crush who was lacing his boots up and heard the whole thing his good friend bright adams is going to back him up if he needs a witness right i set out to find sean but he was gone Not anymore oh come on ref get in there I paced around the backstage area until Owen, Davy, Jim, and Pillman came to find me. I love it. The, the Hart Foundation is, like, actually the real Hart Foundation in the back. It's oh, like... they absolutely are. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> I know Sean's watching from somewhere, waiting for me to leave this room, I said. I'll bet you the second I walk out of here, he'll walk in. All this stuff is in here. Watch. I crossed the hall, walked into the interview room, and cracked open the door to peek back out into the hall. Sean strode past me into the dressing room. He was bent over, fixing his boots when I marched straight up to him. I pushed him to his feet. You got something mm. to say to me? He flicked a weak punch at me. Okay, so there's a difference. He threw the first punch in that story. Whereas uh, in Sean's account, um, he tried to punch him, but I peeled back and he missed. He tried to punch me is all he says. He doesn't say who threw the first punch. All right. He flicked a weak punch at me and missed. But balancing awkwardly on my good leg, I popped him on the chin, rocking him on his heels. He came for me, so I grabbed him by his long mane and pretended I was doing a hammer throw at the Olympics. I was dragging him around the room when a hysterical Pat and a frantic Lawler ran in and jumped on top of me. Unable to pry me off, Pat shouted for the other wrestlers to help, but Davy and Crush had no intention of saving Sean. It was nothing but a scritch fight. I don't know what's going on. 
What? But when we finally separated, clumps of Sean's precious hair fell from my hands. I blasted him. Don't fuck with me or my family, you little fucker. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Sean looked ready to burst into tears as he stomped across the hall to Vince's office. Shouting loud enough for everyone to hear, Sean quit, saying it was an unsafe working environment. Then he stormed off, slamming doors behind him. Vince looked like a jilted lover whose boy toy had up and left him. But he told me that this had not only been inevitable, but was long overdue, and that it was his fault well, for not dealing with Sean sooner. Well, this was inevitable. <laughs> really? Long overdue, if you ask me. Could have done anything to stop. About, about fucking time. Yep. That's exactly what Vince said. He I love a good brawl in the hall. <laughs> for it all. <laughs> for it all. Brawl. For it all. Brawl. Patterson. What's up, boss? Brawl. Brawl for all. You mean like right now? <laughs> Just write it down. Okay, got that. Okay. <clears throat> he told me to take the night off. I felt silly to have come to blows over something so stupid, but while everything in wrestling was supposed to be bullshit, that bullshit was everything to me. Before Raw was off the air, Vince was hyping the inside story of a backstage brawl between me and Sean for sale to fans on his 900 number. God. My scuffle with Sean was the talk of the business. Meltzer wrote that I'd always been professional and questioned the reasoning behind Sean's claim that he couldn't trust or work with the Hart Foundation. Jack Lanza told me that Vince had known a real physical confrontation was coming before I did because Sean had told him he was going to punch me out as far back as May at the Evansville Raw, but I couldn't tell if Jack was just trying to stir me up. I tried to pull it all out of my mind, including Vince's talk about reneging on the financial terms of our contract, and did my best to heal up for the July In Your House, which is going to be in Calgary. I had two good Good distractions. Paul J. and his High Road Productions crew mm. arrived and began shooting the documentary on me. And the Calgary Flames wanted to buy the Hitmen. I knew a hockey organization such as the Flames were best suited to manage the team, and so I agreed to sell it. On July 3rd, Sean agreed to come back. It's not like he had any choice. Vince had threatened to stop his $15,000 a week paychecks. I hope the little bastard would... Making fifteen grand a week? That's right. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't feel appreciated. That's the problem. He's making 1500 a week to show up in no shirt and khaki shorts and boat shoes and kick Sean in the head and rant and rave and then go home. Fucking Christ. Um, okay. But I was thrown for a loop when Vince told me that Sean was going to guest referee my SummerSlam match with Taker at the Meadowlands on August 3rd. Sean would turn heel on Taker, costing him the belt. Though I'd finally get another stint as champion, a sour feeling ran through me as heels would be in direct competition with each other again. One warm, beautiful night... Blade got upset while I was putting him to bed and started stomping around, slamming doors. Why? Because you called him Blade? <laughs> I finally picked him up and put him in his bed and told him to go to sleep. I was downstairs again chatting with Julie when Blade wandered defiantly past me, wearing a Shawn Michaels t-shirt. Yes. Hat and heart-shaped glasses, opening and closing his red leather-gloved fist. Julie and I struggled not to laugh. I coolly said to Blade, what are you supposed to be? He put on his most serious face and said, What are, what, what, what are you supposed to be? Uh, 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 a model for a girly magazine? <laughs> read by mostly men? Girly man. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he looked at me with the most serious face and said, I'm with the click. Wow. The, damn right he is. Then, to this day he is. Then he broke into a big grin and said, Nah, I'm just bugging your dad. Oh. No, he didn't say that. Skip out good. But Brett put that in there anyway. And quote, 
Okay. Wait, wait, he put it in there and didn't say it? Well, no, he he did say that his son said that in the book, but I doubt it. I think he just said that to make himself feel better about the fact that he likes Shawn Michaels better than him. That's right. That's right. I like somebody else better than you, Dad. That would Idiot. Be, that would be the subject of some great storylines, like... Well, was it Eddie Guerrero who went nuts on somebody one week on Raw because his kids had their posters? I think it was Rock. Wasn't it Rock? Or somebody like that. It was really effective st- stuff. And maybe it was Rey Mysterio. I don't remember, but that's always great. You know, the guy said, my kid worships you. That pisses me off. I'm going to kick your yeah. ass. So, uh, boss, sounds like all is copacetic between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart here in June 1990. Yeah. doesn't sound as bad as it's been reported. <laughs> And um, by the way, one other advantage we have looking at this 20 years later uh, is the fact that Sonny uh, has managed to do her share of shoot interviews about the Sunny Days comment and separating, at least according to her, uh, not exactly a reliable witness, but somebody who just doesn't give a fuck anymore and is just spilling all the dirt and talking about anything. As well as her... Everything in underneath her clothes as well. Oh, I know. Yes, we've seen it all as it regards Tammy Sitch. We can say that. And, um, yeah, she's definitely in don't-give-a-fuck mode. And she did an interview. Or, actually, she gives a fuck. Lots of fucks. <laughs> on camera. Yeah, she, she gives those, too. There's a, there's a podcast called The Wrestlingus Show. Wrestlingus Show. Oh. That I have to give a shout-out to because they did this interview with her just a month ago or a couple months ago. And they talked about the Sunny Days thing, and she gives some of the more detailed accounting of what she said happened. She says, in fact, she never fucked Bret Hart. Do you know who she fucked like a rabbit? Who? Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. Yes, she did. And that Shawn, when he made the Sunny Days comment on Raw, was pissed because she picked staying with Chris Candido over leaving Chris and moving in with Shawn. And he was Wow. She said there was an incident where she and Brett kissed, and word was going around the locker room about that, but she considered Brett more of a friend. She said the kiss was was awkward, like kissing a relative or a brother, and it didn't go anywhere, Mm -hmm. and she also buried Brett and said it wasn't that good of a kiss anyway, so that's where she's at. Wow. But her point is that, you know, the the, the buzz and rumor mongering about that kiss yeah. led Sean to just extrapolate that it was going that much further. But he was really smarting over the idea that she picked Chris. She claims that she stuck with Candido because she felt like he honestly would kill herself. Uh, pardon me, kill himself if she left him. That was the power <clears throat> dynamic in the relationship, essentially. I can't live without you, etc. And we all know poor Chris Candido met an untimely demise. So yeah. um, that partnership <clears throat> uh, did not necessarily prove healthy for the two, but... It was a lifelong partnership, dating back to when she was a teenager, I think. So that that aside, um, that's what she basically said. Um, that's where things separate. She said she was so serious with Sean um, that at one point her and Sean's mother were designing Sean's new house and, like, what would go wow. on. Wow. Yep. And uh, Sean wanted to move in, didn't. And apparently Sean's current wife's all pissed, but uh, she said, you know, there's no reason to be pissed. I mean, this is all before you met him. Is there, I mean, is there reason to believe this is all true? I mean, do we have any other... No, yeah, I think it's I think it's true. I mean, I haven't seen... I'm sure Sean at this point in his life, he's Mr. Like, I don't respond to that kind of stuff. Right, right. So I don't think we'll ever get anything out about that, but I'll I'll believe it. I mean, she seems I mean, pretty... no, no one's coming out and flat out, flat out denying it either. No, no, it doesn't sound right. like it. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, it is... I just read to you the passage. I mean, Brett never gets at whether he actually had anything going on with Sonny. He just gets at the fact that he was pissed about it and affected him back home. So um, so that kind of left it open to interpretation for all this time. And 
and he probably mm-hmm. wanted to he didn't he doesn't uh he doesn't dance around other infidelities in the book i mean he almost goes out of his way to chronicle his his sexual conquests on the road and his guilt trips about it in other spaces. really oh yeah that's all over the book that that night i fucked this girl uh and it's all like in a, from a self-loathing place, of course, as Brett, <laughs> Brett is expert what, at. What else is new? Yeah. So, um, so there you go. And um, she has other. Brett, Brett may not have uh, perfected. I mean, Brett may not have invented self-loathing, but he certainly perfected it. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, so that is her, her, her recollection of things and why it went uh, sour there. Um. So, what's going on writ large in the WWF outside of the Sean and Brett uh, personal dynamic here? Uh, an awful lot. Um, they had done a storyline leading up to Sean and Michaels winning the titles to finding partners, and Sean chose Ken Shamrock, and then Austin was going to ask Sable to be his partner, and then Harvey Jesus. Whippleman and Brooklyn Brawler, and they made some fun out of it. Vader, as we... <clears throat> talked about um, and referenced more on the show after the Cold Day in Hell show was really fucked up from the Ken Shamrock match at Cold Day in Hell. <sighs> had a broken nose, had problems with his knee, a, a real wide range of different injuries from the leg kicks. He couldn't even walk until the Friday of the show. He needed fluid drained from the knee. Uh, he got a knee to the nose that broke it in four places. Oh, my God. So he was supposed to wrestle Crush in the qualifying round of the 97 King of the Ring tournament, but due to the injury could not enter Triple H, who really didn't even seem to be um, on the drawing board for the for, for the tournament, passed losing, <coughs> dis- losing a qualifying match on Raw via disqualification to Ahmed Johnson. And that was supposed to be it for Triple H in the tournament, um, mm-hmm. by all appearances. In fact, uh, there was advertising out for the tournament um, that had a television commercials taped weeks in advance that had the final four for the 97 King of the Ring tournament as Ahmed Johnson versus Vader and Goldust versus Savio Vega. So Ahmed is the only guy who actually made the final cut. Why would they do that? Why would they do what? Have that, make that advertisement. Well, that was their, that was their plan. That's what they do. They, they send, this, I remember, they did an on-sale in Providence a month, two months before this, where they were yeah. telling people they were going to get Brett and Sean and Steve Austin versus Brian Pillman. Oh. They were telling people in the market that that's what you were buying tickets for. So, uh, yeah, that's an age-old problem at WWF, is that they yeah. they get cards out there to move tickets, and then they change their minds and don't think it really matters. And maybe it doesn't, <laughs> to the bottom line, at least. So, <clears throat> that's, that's kind of the lead-up to that big... Um, that big tag title change, and it is massive. Um, one one other thing that also starts on the May 19th episode of Raw Boss, and we see mm-hmm. this begin to come to fruition by virtue of his involvement in the tournament, is the three-part sit-down interview with Mick Foley and JR. Yes, yes, talk yes, about yes, that. yes. Talk yes. about it. It is, I mean, it's such a great... It's the first time they decided to make it a little... They, they took that extra effort to make somebody like him seem more real. And the way he, <clears throat> I mean, now it's a, it's a little hokey now, you know, looking at it yeah, because it's, you know, it's, it's Mick Foley in his fucking mask, you know, with the voice talking about his real life. So it's, it's, it's a little hokey, but 
overall, it's still very effective because they show all those, um, you know, all that footage from him yeah. as a kid. They show all that. They talk about all these different aspects. They talk about the the violent matches in Japan. We see those losing... for the first time on WWE TV. Yep. Exploding yep. matches, so, tax. Yeah. So there's a lot of neat stuff um, that they touch upon, but it's just a little odd now. And I, and I think that has more to do with with um, uh, like having had so much exposure to the real McFoley. Yeah. Since then, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It's it's almost like they're going to do this 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 shoot interview where they peel back the the curtain on who this guy really is, yet he's still sitting there pretending to be mankind. It's still, you know, the the ultimate point is that he still comes out of that horrible. Uh, rinse cycle as this mankind monster it's not like he takes the mask off and and no and he and he still like talks with the weird exactly the weird voice that he had when he first came in it's not like you know when he later on he 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 didn't talk as you know he talked a little more like his normal voice absolutely he uses normal voice more yeah his promos and the stuff, lovable so. version of mankind the uh the babyface version but yeah, right. it still was kind of groundbreaking at the time and Tremendous delivery by Mick Foley. I mean, he brought a he brought acting chops that you just don't see every day mm-hmm. in pro wrestling. And, and the footage mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, as brilliantly as he delivered the lines, the fact that you were seeing Cactus Jack matches from the King of the Deathmatch tournament in Japan on WWE television, you were seeing explosions mm-hmm. in barbed wire, you were seeing him jump off the roof of his house in Long Island when he was 18 and crashing through a mattress, and the way they were able to kind of leverage all that into what they saw as Mankind, the character's backstory, that all that torture and... And desire to be loved resulted in him scarring himself and walking around looking like this complete fucking mess. It was pretty compelling yeah. stuff. And so, oddly, in this Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels chaos, Mick Foley, along with Steve Austin, is a beneficiary. As we mentioned, um, the fact that the Shawn-Steve tag team falls apart when Shawn walks out of the company and gets disciplined for it um, led to Dude Love getting the shot uh, vis-a-vis Steve Austin as the tag team champs and, and working that program and mm-hmm. getting the Dude Love shine. And um, it all, and this is all airing before uh, King of the Ring with the final party airing the next the night after King of the Ring, where he puts the mandible claw yes. on Jim yes. Ross. And uh, wanted to turn to the bookshelf again, if we could, boss, to McFoley's book, which we uh, haven't really touched on during mm. this point in time, an awful lot. And That's true. Talk about a real flashpoint in his career and his perspective on things. He writes, <clears throat> at the end of May, Jr. talked with me about an idea they were planning. Goldust had just been the subject of a two-part up-close and personal interview that had been very insightful and beneficial to his career. We talked about that, by the way, on the uh, Cold Dan Hell Show. JR yes. felt that a similar interview could yield similar results for me. Vince had heard fragments of my real history and thought that it was actually more captivating than any fictional background. We set a date to do the interview and a second day to try to finalize a contract. I had Colette... Colette, my, my wife, flown in for the contract talks because she wanted to be there and also because she tended to get a better price for my services than I did. I'd been thinking about my interview with JR for several days when I arrived at the television studio for the talk that would change my career. I was told that Vince might be stopping by to check out the interview, which was fine with me. Kevin Dunn, who was a director for the Federation, came up while I was getting dressed and explained their concept, which involved appearing without the mask as Mick Foley. I actually liked the mask by this point, and would wear it for several hours prior to a match. Now the damn thing smells so bad that I practically put it on while my entrance music is playing. I believed in <laughs> I believed in mankind and didn't want anyone to see the real McFoley just yet, so I came up with a game plan. I would tell the real-life McFoley stories, and I would give McFoley's opinions, but I would do it as mankind. 
So that was mixed call. Interesting. Okay. In actuality, the two weren't that different, as in most cases, the most successful gimmicks were simply an amplified extension of a certain part of the real-life personality. I guess in that, set, in that case, mankind was the insecure side of my personality, the side that had never quite felt accepted. It was that side that surfaced in the Jim Ross interview, and it surfaced in a way that was both funny and touching, and it changed the way people perceived and felt about mankind. People often talk about wrestling being scripted. Actually, in my case, nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, I have a general idea of what I'm trying to accomplish, and yes, sometimes I'm given specific lines to say that will be beneficial in drawing money. But the truth is, in my three and a half years with the Federation, I've only done two scripted interviews. JR and I talked briefly <coughs> on the phone the night before taping and went over a few ideas, but the entire interview, with the exception of the mandible claw that I caught JR with at the end, was completely ad-libbed. After 15 minutes of talking, I said something I thought was Really? Isn't that incredible? The job he does, and there's no guidance or framework? That's crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. Hey, I think we got a delay. I think we're back. Oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> we're not back at all. Okay. All right. Not, that was better. It's clearing. We're good. Okay. All right, good. After 15 minutes of talking, I said something I thought was inappropriate and asked if we could do the question over. It was then that I saw Vince and... It was then that I saw Vince, who had been watching from the wings. This is absolutely captivating, he said. I had once been told that for Vince to get completely behind someone, he needed to become a fan of his. I believe that night in the studio was when Vince McMahon actually became a fan of mine. I was so completely inside the character that I knew when we were done that something special had just taken place. I consider that interview to be on the, the list of the three best things I'd ever done. Wow. He excerpts... Uh, generously from the interview and some of his key back and forth lines, which is a cool part of the book. And he gets to the response here quickly. The response to the interview is overwhelming. It was shown in four segments and each week I could feel the momentum growing. The interviews were never intended to make me a good guy, but the pieces came off so well that I started being cheered. Every week the reaction grew to the point where I soon was one of the most loved wrestlers in the company. I should point out now that it wasn't simply the interview that made the piece so successful, it was the presentation as well. Chris Chambers produced the specials and did a phenomenal job of weaving childhood photos, the infamous Dude Love video, and even Japanese deathmatch footage into the story. Dave Sahadi and Doug Liebau are two other extremely talented producers that the World Wrestling Federation is lucky to have. As a former television production student, I am well aware of their importance to what we do, as without them, we might very well look like fat guys in their underwear pretending to fight. Perhaps the biggest star of the entire interview series was my fantasy creation of Dude Love. I began receiving letters from fans about my Dude Dream that had inspired them to follow theirs, and there was even a small contingent of Dude Love signs in the arenas. I was surprised one evening to hear Bruce Pritchard say, you know, we're going to make a Dude Love shirt, and I was literally shocked when Vince later proposed a radical idea. Mick, for one night only, somewhere in the future, we're going to have a Dude Love match on pay-per-view. I could not believe it. Dude Love and the World Wrestling Federation. Oh, have mercy. My contract negotiation had also gone well. It didn't make me rich, but it certainly provided security for my family. And if it vested wisely, the money could make me wealthy over time. I was able to have several advantageous conditions worked in, and my final deal was considerably more lucrative than the one offered a year earlier. With the contract talks behind me, I was now able to lie down at night, secure in the knowledge that I was making only slightly less than a second-string shortstop hitting 187 for the Mariners. <laughs> Big baseball fan. True to his word, however, Vince started putting the company's promotional power behind mankind, and he seemed to explode in the summer of 1997. The summer of love. Finally, coming off the tremendous final match at King of the Ring, my feud with Hunter Samsley was met with great enthusiasm around the country. Did he say tremendous? I know. I thought it wasn't tremendous. 
I thought it was decidedly it's, not tremendous. It's decidedly long, that's for sure. <clears throat> and uh, the pretty much the antithesis of what I consider to be tremendous. Yeah, I would uh, I would feel that. He, he's riding a career high because he's got that contract. The fucking interviews are so great. And he goes to the finals of the King of the Ring. But that match, it has the... It has the elements of what is a great McFoley match, but it, they don't gel. They just don't gel. There's no they they the Triple H and Mankind had not yet hit their stride. Hit their stride, yeah, I would agree with that. But um, just a glimpse there at how um, high Mankind is, and some of the um, some of the backstory to that tremendous uh, personality. I think profile. Triple H made him write that. Yeah, I'm sure he had ghostwriting privileges. I'm sure to some degree. Oh, hey, do you know what? Uh, something I forgot to mention about Sean. Yeah. Yes. When he storms out of the locker room in Hartford, Connecticut, I want to ask you something, boss. Mm-hmm. Where was Monday Nitro that night? Oh God, they must have been in Connecticut. Oh, were they were they at MSG that night? Fleet Center. No, they never been there. They were at the, that was they were at Fleet Center. That was the big Boston Nitro. That was a huge <sighs> sellout and a huge. It was a record gate for them until they did uh, Georgia Dome the next year. And the big Boston Nitro, that was also the night where Kevin Nash and Roddy Piper got in a shoot fight backstage because Kevin blamed Piper for a total shit match in the ring. But what does Sean say? It's a fucking bad hip. What do you want? <laughs> Jesus. What does Sean say as he's storming out of the Hartford building, Hartford, Connecticut arena and slamming oh, doors? Please tell me he says something like, we're going to a real company or something like that. So I'm going to see if I can make it in time. Wow. And so, what an asshole. For a connected few, high drama watching Nitro, because you're going to tell me Bischoff wouldn't have put Shawn Michaels on TV if he walked in the door at the Fleet Two Center? Set, not even, yeah, he would have put it on in no time. Oh my God, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I still remember that. I still remember hearing about that. I mean, not in real time, but afterwards, and just like my mind being blown that it was that bad that even Shawn Michaels could just abandon ship and try to race to Nitro before it went off the air. Because remember, Jesus. they left the building um, before Raw went live. I mean, Brett and Shawn were both gone by the time the cameras went on because this all happened about an hour before. Jesus. The and they had to totally rebook the whole show with like 10 minutes to spare. And, and that's why the show becomes so top-heavy with Nation of Domination angles and stuff. Remember we talked about that a few months ago? That would make, yeah, we talked about that how I, when I was, I was watching at the time, it became, there. it was like, I remember it was very heavy with Nation of Domination and not the Heart Foundation. It was like, where's the Heart Foundation? Wow. That's what it was. He was gone. Um, and so, also, Sean saw to it that a photograph circulated within the wrestling wrestling magazines at the time. I think George Napolitano, the wrestling photographer, uh, took the picture of him wearing an Outsiders t-shirt while under WWF contract in 1997. Oh, my God. You can still find it um, <coughs> out there, that picture. And that was well circulated and obviously done to create buzz and, and uh, you know, foment the idea that... I mean, could you imagine? Oh, Just think about that for a I second. I mean, that would have been... Oh, my God. Sean on, in WCW and the NWO. That would have been ridiculous. It feels like a a real fatal blow. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I really wonder. I wonder if that had happened. Unlike Brett, Kevin and Scott would have saw to it that Sean got the proper right. treatment over there. Right. Like, fuck. Like, you know, 
Sean Sean would have probably gone over Hogan at Starcade. Sean versus Hogan, boss, in 1997. Right. I invite would you to happened. consider. Sean versus Hogan at Starcade. Sean versus Sting. Yep. Give me what I need. All the matches. Sean the NWO. Fuck me. And here's oh, my God. So, what a night. What a night that was in Hartford. And all the talk about it, and WCW is doing gangbuster business across in the next. I mean, do you think? Over. Do you think it would have been a fatal blow? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I remember feeling have in 1990. They would have obviously kept Brett. They would have kept Brett. Yeah, I mean, for how long? Who knows? I mean, to WrestleMania, so Austin could have maybe beat yeah. Brett, and then. I don't know. You know, I feel like because I did hear about it at the time, not you know as Sean was driving, and you know, to be clear, there's no actual indication that he actually tried to get to Boston. I mean, he just said in mm-hmm. his book that he went back to the hotel and flew out the next night. And he just, but he did make a remark out loud for everybody to hear before he left the building in Hartford about I... going there. Um, but I remember when I heard about that at the time, feeling like this thing in the pit of my stomach, like, oh my God, that would be bad. Because you have to remember that when Brett left, even, you know, that felt like a huge blow but Steve Austin had kind of showed he, – he kind of kicked it up one more peg to where he was clearly going to get the torch next. You felt like he would be a suitable world champ on top. This is a little bit before that. This is a little bit before mm-hmm. Steve Austin could necessarily come to the rescue in the void of a yeah. Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And it wasn't just that it was Shawn Michaels. It was that it was Shawn Michaels going over there to be with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall that I thought right. was so, right. you know, potentially disruptive to uh, the WWF's position. Because they this is the point where they are absolutely against the ropes. That whole idea that Vince yeah. Vince couldn't afford this Brett contract is a total shoot. I mean, they they were going deep into debt, and they were I think they had their first money-losing year ever. It was in the ratings war was not turning around uh, fast enough, so it was, it was real bad. Uh, they also launched, man, so much stuff happening. That, that would go on to be remembered forever. This is also where they launch the Paul Bearer Undertaker storyline, boss. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, before, but yes. For the show, Paul Bearer makes cryptic remarks about how he has a secret from the Undertaker's past that he mm-hmm. threatens to reveal unless Undertaker agrees to allow him to manage him as champion. And so Taker comes into the main event of King of the Ring against Farouk uh, with Paul Bearer reluctantly in his corner, lording over him with this secret. And yes. what do you remember thinking it was? Um, you know, I, I, uh, by the time King of the Ring came around, I, I, I wasn't watching as much. I didn't really, this kind of was lost on me. Mm-hmm. It was. So I didn't really know, I didn't really know like what, what they were talking about. Like I, I didn't, I don't think I even remember there being as much of a, um, of, of, I don't think I remember it. That's my point. I don't think I remember, I'm. You know, maybe I think I remember a little bit. Cause I remember seeing Paul Bearer with the blonde hair, being very confused. Yes. Because it was like, what, what the fuck is going on with Paul Bearer? <laughs> like, when, when did this happen? But not like I, I, I there, <coughs> my viewership was very on and off at this period. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's been this mystique, this mysterious like need for it because it's where the business changed. And where WWE changed, and I missed it. And you had to know. Yeah. Um, do you, by the way, quickly, while we're there, you know why Paul Bearer had that hair color change? Why? 
he um that's his natural hair color that light right brown yeah, yeah. Hair. That, that i know um and he took out all the the black st- he was trying to get it bleached blonde he wanted to get it bleached blonde and when he finally took out all that black shit he'd been dyeing it with for so many years he was told that if he bleached it that soon after removing that black from his hair that it would start falling out oh my god <laughs> that his hair would actually break off so he had I, to go I on that He'd been he'd been what for five years straight. He's wearing that fucking black hair. Oh my god! I know. Can you imagine what that does? Oh. Hey, Hogan's hair fell out a lifetime of bleaching that shit. So yeah, it's a real concern, brother. So no more no more frosted tips for me. <laughs> if you remember, ultimately the secret is that Undertaker set a fire that killed his parents, but Kane yeah. survived. His brother Kane survived, and he never knew it, and then Kane debuts. That's the long tail of the storyline that launches here in June uh, 97, or maybe May 97, late May. But It's like, it's, it's, it's right, not, it's, you see, it's weird. This is the thing about it. This is where it's, this is where it always gets kind of weird. It happened the night, Paul Bear comes, comes back the night after Cold Day in Hell. Mm-hmm. And... That's beginning of May. This is where we're so used to pay-per-views happening. You know, like this one is in the beginning of June. Yep, so yep. so really, the storyline begins the beginning of May. And This is May 19th that they first float the storyline. Y- yeah. Wait, that's when Paul Bearer comes back? That's when, yeah. That's when Paul Bearer shows up on the screen and tells Undertaker, I've got the secret on you. First time he says it. First time but that's not. It. But he comes back. He comes back earlier, and yeah, I f- yeah. But I don't yeah, think yeah. he. I don't think he mentions the secret quite. No, yet. no, no. But there's, a, there's there's a mystery about it because he comes back and it says he's going to manage him, and then mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Well, the um, original plan. Did you know? Was mm-hmm. was to bring back Papa Shango? Did you know that? I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Charles Wright about to get signed again. Eventually, they'd plug him back into the Nation of Domination. Well, they'd plug him into the Nation of Domination. As yep. common and have him go over The Undertaker mm-hmm. clean as a fucking sheet yep. in a tag team match. So that kind of... The fumes of the idea, they still wanted to program the two together, just not with Kama as Papa Shango, having played some spooky role in the uh, the triple grave situation based on that house fire. So the idea was that somehow Papa Shango raised Undertaker from the dead and that he owes his life to him. That was kind of the rough sketch of it um, as to what happened in that fire. That is so stupid. Oh, I know. Uh, but about a week or two after that was first floated in the Observer, uh, Melser says that the original idea uh, was changed. Papa Shango won't be part of the angle, and we know that they bring in Glenn Jacobs to play Kane, and uh, Glenn Jacobs gets himself a 25-year career out of it, know, right? out of the gimmick. So uh, good for him. Um, next week, uh, we come around, and it's becoming very clear that it will not be Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart at King of the Ring. Um, Melser pegs it as happening uh, as far as the um, the actual plan changes uh, at a booking meeting on May 23rd. Um, the idea to put Michaels and Austin as tag champs and go in the direction of Michaels first Austin uh, for the pay-per-view. Now, King of the Ring is very early in June, so that's like three weeks' notice before they realize that that's the direction they're ultimately going to go in. Um, there was the talk, as Brett talked about in his book, that the knee surgery wasn't coming along as fast as expected. That's why they did the 10-minute ma- match idea. Um, and one thing Meltzer talks about that I never heard was that the plan was for Brett to return, uh, around SummerSlam and, um, 
put over Shawn Michaels in a series of ladder matches. They were going to have ladder matches between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, I believe, though, he's talking about summer of 96, coming off WrestleMania 12, summer 96. Okay. Have Bret and Shawn ladder matches, um, as opposed to SummerSlam 97. Um, But that Bret had this big problem with it because he actually brought the ladder match concept to Vince because they had done it in Calgary with Dynamite Kid and stuff in the late 70s. And he experimented with it with Sean on straight to Coliseum video and what, 92 was were those yeah. matches? Yeah, it was July of 92 where he had the big, they had the primetime wrestling uh, ladder match. So Brett. It was a, it was covered in Battle of the Titans, oh an issue God. of WWE Magazine. Do I miss Battle of the Titans? All right. Yeah, what that's a great, what's missing in my was, life right there. No. Um, just road coverage of matches you would never yep. see on television. Yep. Okay, so uh, then Sean, you know, takes the gimmick and runs with it after WrestleMania 10, and uh, Brett ends up vetoing, vetoing the idea of uh, putting Michaels over again and taking further time off in 96. So want to tuck that in there as part of the narrative. Um, mm-hmm. So Sean does the new contract demand. Vince turns him down. We know from uh, Sean's book what kind of happens there. So again, May 23rd for the May 26th Raw, they make the booking decision to to put the tag championships on Austin and Michaels and move towards Austin and Michaels. They had promised Legion of Doom the belts when they came back earlier in 97. Um, They ended up doing Austin and Michaels versus LOD the week after they win the belts. That ended in a count-out finish. And eventually LOD would get the belts later that summer, beating the Godwins after uh, Austin and and, uh, Michaels have to relinquish. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Did you know that in the Michaels and Austin versus Owen and Bulldog match, that Austin suffered his first neck injury? Really? I did not know that. I did not know until researching for this very show that the Steve Austin neck injury that he suffers against Owen Hart at SummerSlam 97 was, um, to some degree, an aggravation of a pre-existing neck injury. That it wasn't just um, an out-of-the-blue you know, paralysis stinger, essentially, as it was. I mean, certainly... How interesting. Yeah. The blow was there, but it happened in this match, and I couldn't find out where. I mean, the only guess I could have is Austin counters an Owen Hart sleeper hold with a jawbreaker and sits down so that, you know, Owen's head crashes down on the top of his, and he kind of looks shooken up from that, but I may be just looking for something that's not there. I don't know where in the match he may have hurt his neck, but um, it's widely reported that Austin hurt his neck in this match, and it's it was cre- mm-hmm. it was creating serious questions about whether he'd be able to go for King of the Ring as well. It was very much touch and go. He was told by one doctor, according to Meltzer at the time, uh, that it could be the beginning of a serious neck problem, and the doctor suggested he retire. A doctor, wow. A doctor told Steve Austin between May and June of 1997, months before the Owen Hart pile driver at SummerSlam, that he might consider retiring due to the neck damage. Well, damn, son, that's just not going to happen. Oh, I got a second opinion, and you can shove that MRIs up your opinion, ass. And I'm going to get a third opinion, and I'm going <laughs> to shove all these opinions <laughs> up your damn ass. Because opinions are like asses. Everybody got one if you know what I'm saying. And I'm going to kick it. The week after King of the Ring, he gets another opinion um, and who tells him he can continue to work. Um, and won't need surgery, but he'll be in a lot of pain and have to gut it out. Um, his injury at the time, Meltzer reports, was diagnosed as severe erosion of his neck vertebrae. Oh. So, not the strongest stack of dimes before he gets dumped by the Owen Hart pile driver to begin with. Um, so that's obviously going to have huge implications for uh, 1997, Steve Austin's neck. 
Um, the, the match was a big success, though, in addition to being one of the best Raw matches of all time, the aforementioned tag title change. If not the best. If not the in best. In some people's minds. Mm-hmm. That combined with Undertaker and Paul Bearer at the end of the show, where Paul gets Taker to fall to a knee and give himself over to Paul Bearer so he doesn't expose the secret, combined to actually beat Nitro in the final quarter, 3.9 to 3.3. That was very significant because Nitro always, always dominated the last quarter because everyone always thought the NWO was going to have a big run in. Remember that? It was like yep. every week the end of Nitro is going to be the NWO just taking the whole fucking shit over and it, it was can't miss. But uh, not, it didn't work that, that, that week. So any signs of hope were very important for WWF at that point in time and emboldened them to go further with Steve Austin, which of course was the key. W, WCW totally killed him in the seven other quarter hours for the uh, two-hour head-to-head <laughs> that week, but... There you go. Also starting to happen to the point where they even mention it on the 97 King of the Ring broadcast. Austin 316 shirts are now really starting to move. Yes. I mean, God damn it. I kind of remember his... I remember the the stretcher angle where he beats up Brett in the stretcher the night after Revenge Mm -hmm. of the Taker Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as being kind of a thing where the Austin 316 shirt really came to mean something. Like, holy shit, because he wore it while he was doing that. And here by King of the Ring, even though... Steve Austin, just if you listen to the crowd, is not the overwhelming crowd favorite yet. In fact, Sean gets even, maybe even more cheers, equally vociferous cheers. It it depends, it depends. on how you look at it. Sure. Because the quality of sound, uh, the quality of the of the cheers is very different. Yes, they come from very different segments. But the Austin 316 shirts are far and away the number one shirts you see in the crowd. Oh my God! Yeah. It's like, even if people don't think Steve Austin's a baby face, they still want that fucking shirt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a new phenomenon. That's very new for them at that time. And um, they're starting to see big-time receipts um, that show that this Steve Austin thing can go all the way, that he can be the runaway top guy because nobody else is moving T-shirts like this guy. Oh. And so that's very important. <clears throat> they were seeing per-head numbers like, you know, you take how much you sell in merchandise and how many people are in the building and you average it out. How much did you make per head in merchandise on average? So, you know, one family buys $100 in merchandise, another buys a buck. You take the average. And when they did it all out, they were doing $10 per head at this point in time. When they were doing very low attendance and, and very poor financials for WWF. Yeah. And during the Hogan Glory period, it was, it was only up to $2 a head in merchandise. So the merchandise sector is blowing up on the back of Steve Austin, even when WWF business was relatively in the toilet. That's crazy. So that's huge. That is absolutely massive. Um, so you have, um, you have the backstage fight, you have them storm out. Um, you have Vince sending out a memo to WWF executives saying after the fight last night in Hartford, Shawn Michaels breached his contract by refusing to perform. We are hopeful yeah. Sean will reconsider his position and return to work. Sean has four years to go here's, on his uh, five-year contract. Here's the thing. Uh, Sean, last night he breached his contract, but we're not going to fire him. We're going to keep him on board. Insist um, he come back. And, uh, and you know we'll make sure he comes back and we'll, we'll see if it works. Now, I want you all to know that if any of you breach your contracts, you will be fired on the spot. That's correct. Yes. I want you to know that Shawn Michaels is more valuable than you are. Again, the lesson of the curtain call. Mm-hmm. And he signed that five-year contract right after getting the belt at WrestleMania 12, and he was only a year into it, and 
Here it is being cited. Five-year contract. The door is open for Sean to return under the terms of his contract, the statement writes. And um, unbelievable. So Sean will come back. They have the meeting. It's actually April, uh, May 18th that they have the uh, meeting at the San Jose airport. Um, that Boston Nitro, by the way, that Sean was yeah. claiming he's going to go to, uh, broke all previous WWE attendance records, doing a sellout. 18,003 fans, 16,025 paid for a gate of tone of 43 grand. And, you know, just the chaos of the backstage inmates running the asylum stuff. I think I wanted to pass this along. It was beautifully encapsulated by Dave Meltzer. And yeah. I think it's the Observer where he covers the Hartford fight, or maybe the one after. He writes, quote, <clears throat> These incidents are just symptomatic of a much bigger problem in both of the major promotions. In their quest to be number one, and realizing mm-hmm. that it's... And, and by situations, he's talking about the Austin, the uh, Brett-Sean fight and the Piper-Nash fight, which happened the same night. <clears throat> in their quest to be number one, and realizing that it's a star-driven industry in terms of drawing fans and television ratings, mm-hmm. the stars have more power than ever before. They have power over their own programs to the point that they can and often don't do programs and finishes that would lead to drawing the most money or the best ratings because of egos. There have been so many live television interviews where guys have complained about behind-the-scenes things going on that the vast majority of the audience has no clue about rather than talk about their program, and in all cases with no disciplinary action. The stars are clearly above the rules. Whether and what are you going to do? Fire me? Correct. The biggest fucking draw in this company. The stars are clearly above the rules, whether it be the drug policy in at least some, arguably most cases, or in many cases, just overall professionalism. And we've seen time after time this year where focused programs and entire mm. major shows have had to be mm. revamped for reasons yes. that have more to do with personal yes. problems than late injuries. This is no secret within the industry, and it's caused a cancer in both dressing rooms. When the business is being run to appease a few people's egos or to maximize the power certain wrestlers have backstage rather than for maximum gain for all. Ironically, business is the strongest it's been in years as this is going on, so the argument can be made that this cancer has in ways been beneficial. But it has created situations where there are more injuries, both real and imagined, than ever before. Mm-hmm. And locker room tension that results in constant problems backstage involving yes. the biggest stars in the industry. Yes. It's been suggested before, and both companies need to implement some sort of standards immediately to ensure things like this not necessarily don't happen again, because you can't do anything to ensure that. But if they do, that the parties who screw up live television shows or major shows for unprofessional behavior be disciplined in a serious manner. The reason this isn't done is because neither promotion wants to offend a top star who means something on top for fear they'll leave, or even worse, find a way mm-hmm. to leave for the rival promotion. That's right. There it is. That's it. That's right. That's why shit's so out of hand. Jesus Christ. Because they might leave. Oh. Competition's a good thing, boss. Didn't you learn that in, yeah. in your civics class or whatever the fuck? Oh my god. So the tournament is the tournament. Uh, as far as Triple H uh, getting the win, we talked about him replacing Vader um, and Wrestling Crush. We talked about the original ballot, uh, the original, um, the originally advertised brackets. Um, he was scheduled to win the year before, etc. And um, the night after winning the King of the Ring, uh, Triple H goes out on TV and says, uh, 
straight up to the audience, said he would have won King of the Ring last year, but due to Vince McMahon's games and politics, he was held down. <laughs> More of what Meltzer was talking about there, as no one knows what the fuck he's talking about, presumably. And that's that. Consider the table set, boss, for King of the Ring 1997 on the lapsed fan. There it is. There it is. Now, there's no shortage of uh, housekeeping matters, as there is each and every week on the program. Mm -hmm. Because folks folks around here answer the bell. I don't know how else to put it. They answer the call. And when we say, boss, that you've got to put your money where your mouth is in 2017 as it regards showing appreciation mm -hmm. for digital content and entertainment, that mm -hmm. the fucking age is over of counting on the gatekeeping <clears throat> overlords to share a fair piece yes. of the pie. Yes. That the fans have to go directly to the creators with their fucking cash to point a way forward in the digital world. The fans of the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast, in overwhelming numbers, have got their priorities straight. Absolutely. They know where they stand in this constellation of concerns and influences and money. They go to patreon.com slash thelapsedfan, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thelapsedfan, and they sign up to tithe. They sign Why? up. Why? Why? Why do they hit that digital tip jar for your chairman? Because Why do they fucking do it? They need to. Why do they need to? There's so many podcasts out there. Why do they need to do it for us? Because we give them something that they need. Such as? We give them something that soothes it's this is the thing about it yes, okay boss. we're the only podcast that provides pain that soothes hunger <laughs> yes. yes you took the words and, right out of my mouth and that kind of satisfaction you don't get anywhere else huh. and you're going to get it from us and you're going to do the right thing. I mean, because that's the way it works. I mean, last it's week. It's not an option. It's not an option. It's not a fucking option. I mean, last week was the was the podcast equivalent of unbuckling your pants after Thanksgiving dinner, okay? And you sit there and you soak in the tryptophan of shoving it up there, man. That fucking cast. I mean, do you ever need to listen to another second of audio about the Chris Benoit tragedy? No. No. I mean, most people won't even Never. go there because they're so afraid of implicating themselves in looking the other way when it happened. Or, or... They're afraid they won't get that call. <laughs> yeah, right, because you don't want to get heat, brother. Can't do a podcast that'll <laughs> get you heat in wrestling. Mm -mm. <laughs> We're starting from a really good place before we hit record if we're yeah. worrying about that. <laughs> Just what we need. But we don't give a fuck. And you should know that by now. And that's worth rewarding. So folks like Jamie Skeen, who decided to just go up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put a little bit more in. I'm giving what I can. I'm willing to mm -hmm. double it such, such as it is because this fucking shit is worth it. Tom Atanasio, who already gives a tremendous amount, said, fuck it. Here's 12 more bucks because this isn't a fucking game. This is serious shit. I mean, Tom writes... Um, this might be a different Tom. Havoc 98 might be the perfect, perfect lapsed WCW show. This is after we did Halloween Havoc two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, oh, it's coming up. He says he can't wait. He said he upped his pledge this month because he saw we were close to 2,000 and wanted to make sure we got over that line. As they chant, Damn right. at every hipster indie show I go to, I hope you guys fight forever. Thank you, Tom. We'll be fighting forever. As long as that fucking solar system is 
opening that wallet and fattening hours in the process. We don't need to be dancing around the fucking economic Mm-mm. realities here. I don't have time to fucking dance, all right? Dan, thank you very much for your pledge and doing what you can. Stephanie Chase, welcome to the VIP circle, and thank you for that generous tithe. Nick Antonidis, mm-hmm. we thank you very much for doing the right thing and getting in line. He writes, it's been three years. Oh, wait a minute. I got two messages here. Hello, co-chairman. After about two years of listening to your show, it was WWF's Wrestling Classic 1985 which convinced me to give you my money. Somewhere in between J.P.'s Hulk Hogan stuttering while trying to fake-fire Jim Barnett to lapsed Vince asking, Lord Alfred Hayes, will you do this for me, Lord? I finally gave in to do what's right. I can't, in good conscience, steal this life-changer of a podcast anymore. That's the shit. You have become a crutch on which I stand throughout the day. Each mm-hmm. morning I play your show on the way to work, stifling giggles while I sit on the underground. During my runs, you keep me from realizing that I actually hate running. And each night I press play, set the sleep timer to 15 minutes, and fall asleep to JP's dulcet tones, and then instantly get woken up by Jack's laugh. It's been a year of doing this, and I'm certain I'm sleeping a lot better now. You have become my friends and my teachers. As someone who only watched wrestling as a 10 to 11-year-old in 2000 and then became truly obsessed as a 27-year-old, I missed my fair amount of physicality. You helped introduce me to Jake the Snake Roberts, to Rowdy Roddy Piper, and to Dusty, for which I am eternally grateful. I thank you once more. And you should be. I have just one request. There is an episode Mm -hmm. where Jack puts on a Bostonian accent, becomes a unionist, worried about putting food on the table, and had me in stitches, but I can't for life me remember what episode it was. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't fucking know. I don't remember. <laughs> How many... T- yeah, that's... That was, what was the time he put on that Boston accent? Yeah. <laughs> putting food on the fam- on food on the table of Boston families? Is that what you're trying to say? Boston cop? Mark Wahlberg plays a Boston cop? He's a Boston cop every fucking movie? He's a Boston cop? Smart-ass Boston cop? Ah. <laughs> All right. Steve Steve Matheson. Fuck yeah. Give us that 316 where we deserve it, where we need it. Mm -hmm. He writes, finally, evening co-chairs. I'm sending this from Scotland. I travel roughly three hours a day to work as an engineer at a leather-making plant. And with very limited phone signal, the only thing that gets me through the long days and nights is the lapsed fan. That's what we're doing out there, boss. That is correct. We're in that ear, among other orifices. In that ass. I live for lapsed Vince's maniacal ramblings and lapsed Hulk's hyper-paranoia, but there's more. The absolutely anal attention to detail, pardon the pun. I say that to say this. After a few months of freeloading, I finally put down a tribute from my humble apprentice wage, and as it grows, my pledges will grow accordingly. Thank you for Hulkamania, and praise be to the Warlord. P.S. I dream of a lapsed animated sketch show with all the characters. Maybe one day this will come true. Oh, my God. I love that yeah. idea. Where's the fucking money? Where's the financing? Yep. Do yep. it. Do it. Yep. If you or someone you know is listening to this cast, needs this cast, <gasps> and has a lot of fucking money, get yeah. in touch with us and give us a lot of it, and we'll do all kinds we'll, of shit. We'll create. We'll create we'll for create. cash. That's correct. We will create for cash. Corey Pritchett, I see your 316. Very appropriate as we're talking about 1997. Mm-hmm. He writes, hello, co-chairman. I've been a listener for close to a year now, thanks to my fellow lapsehole Casey. When you dove deep into Invasion, I knew it was time to nut up and lay mm-hmm. down some fucking cheddar. Invasion was when I became lapsed. I still remember the ending when my dad turned to me and said, well, that was fucking dumb. <laughs> After the main event, and we never went I was back. Hoping, I was hoping he'd say, well, that was fucking fake. <laughs> Something like that. I will be contributing even more in the coming future because my ass needs the XFL deep dive. As oh, always, God. praise be to the Warlord, and thank you for Hulkamania, Corey from Nashville. Thank you, Corey. 
Steve Kwan, I see you doubling that fucking pledge, and you know what it does to the cockles of our heart. For people who already give, to be compelled to give even more. That says an awful lot. Shane Turner, thanks for that fucking cheddar. Christopher Hilson, you have done the right thing, and you can sleep easy. Same for you, Richard Smeaton. Your co-chairman see you and salute you. Alan McGuire. That's right, bro. That's right. Just remember something. You also do this for you. So you can rest easy knowing that you did the right thing. Right. We can play humble, you know, humbled um, recipients. We can we can fake that bullshit all you want. But we fucking know the truth. Yes. We know that that money is coming into our coffers because we have addicted you to a product that we alone can sling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, streets is hot right now. Mm-hmm. Matt McIntyre, thanks for the dough. Thanks for the cheese. He writes, I need it. Dear esteemed chairman, it's been just over a year and a half since I started to listen to your weekly dives into the crazy world of contrived carnival combat. <laughs> Before I was a dedicated, steadfast member of the solar system, I was like many. A wrestling fan who loved to listen to hours of audio per week about the fucked up business we all love. One day I was yep. searching for more wrestling podcasts to download, and at first yours caught my eye. However, after looking yeah. at some of the episodes, I reacted as many of my contemporaries have. It's oh, fuck no, man. Long. It's way too fucking long. Durr. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that shit. You know, I got, <laughs> I got things to do. You know, I got yeah. play. I got, I got to watch TV. I got, play things, video games. I got things to do, like not leave the house. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I decided to give it a go. Oh, how wrong I was. Never in my life have I heard a more engaging podcast. The co-chair's knowledge of the history of wrestling. I know. An ability to add context to the shows matched only by the consistent flow of jokes that have been known to make me laugh aloud like a fool in many a public place. Instantly, I had to go back and listen to the entire WrestleMania journey, a masterpiece of audio brilliance. As time went on, it happened. Yes. I stopped listening to other wrestling podcasts. The last uh-huh. fan became all I needed. The weekly anal uh-huh. adventures became as welcome as the sun rising in the morning. Whether walking to work, cleaning, or on a public transport, my need for music streaming services became completely obsolete. I even discovered that a colleague of mine was a fellow member of the solar system, and this became one of our first connections in work. Use of lapsed fan tropes and impressions became a constant way of popping each other and brightening up the drudgery of work to the point of him even writing good luck, mate, and remember, Patterson, get in here on my communal Mm -hmm. leaving card. I wouldn't describe myself as the typical lapsed fan as I was born in 1995. With the luxury of having the network and foggy memories of my brother's wrestling watching days, I know that it used to be better. From the age of five, my brother-in-law would tape the pay-per-views on a VHS tape and deliver them to my house on Monday mornings, and I distinctly recall watching every possible second I could before having to go to school. I would spend all day dying to get home to watch the tapes, which I would still watch to this day if they hadn't become basically unwatchable due to the sheer number of times they'd been watched. I also discovered a channel on my television that would show Raw and SmackDown back-to-back on a Friday night in German, but I was too hooked to care. Wow! Looking back, I'm surprised my parents weren't a little skeptical of my watching due to some of the adult content presented at this time. Regardless, after hearing some of the stories of parents' disapproval of wrestling, I will consider myself a lucky one. Recently, the lapsed fan has become even more important in my life. I have recently moved from Northern Ireland to a sunny seaside town in Devon, England. My girlfriend, whom I moved to, li- whom I moved to live with, is a primary school teacher, and I work primarily in the evenings, so the podcast helps bridge the gap of loneliness in the mornings and early afternoons. That's right. That's why we're here. We're not here for people who only have ten minutes to listen to podcasts. No. Fuck them. You know what? 
you know what? This is the bottom line about that. Where to bridge gaps. If you only have, if you only have, 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 <laughs> okay. I'm from fucking North Dakota. If you only have 10 minutes to listen to podcasts, you're not ready yet. That's right. That's right. You're not it's ready to expand your mind. And that's okay. That's right. That's okay. You come around. People ready for the lapsed. They always they don't do. fall out of the sky, boss. They, they they are brought along. They are They are bred. That's correct. They are bred in the farms of the lapsed. And we've got a lot more foals out there than you realize. And they're gonna be ready for competition real fucking soon. Thoroughbreds in the making. Hmm? In that solar system. Not a joke. Not a game. Very serious contributions being made here. <laughs> as you can tell <laughs> as I have only been here for a short time I haven't fully acclimatized to my new surroundings and the difficulty of making new friends is made so much easier by the presence of a constant friend a reliable friend who would never judge me for my love of fake fighting after going through some quite difficult times in my life I feel like I'm in a good place now I have a solid relationship and I've made a great start in my new job all this allows me to do what I wish I could have done for the very first time I downloaded the podcast Yes. pledge on Patreon. It is an honor to be able to contribute financially to something that has helped me and so many others in some difficult times. I do still occasionally tune into the WWE television when something piques my interest, but the constant crowd shots, focus uh-huh. group-like commentary, and ring posts and aprons with video screens on them <laughs> oh. are a sign of the modern times and a serve as a reminder of a better time. My girlfriend and I are attending our first live show together in November, and I'm looking forward to to it despite all this. Wrestling was the very first thing that connected us, and it feels appropriate that my biggest passion in life served as the spark for the life-changing journey I have embarked on over the last year or so. Mm. In closing, I would like to thank you once again. Not only thank once again the people that I allowed to use my anus as a point of entry. Your podcast is unmatched in terms of content and quality of audio, and you are, in my humble opinion, the very pinnacle of podcast mastery. I agree. I hope you enjoy the cheddar and continue to penetrate your loyal subjects on a weekly basis. Praise be to the Warlord, our esteemed co-chairs, and thank you for Hulkamania, yours in Lapsdom, Matthew. If you think this is getting weird, mm-hmm. folks, I gotta ask, why are you mad? Dan. Yeah. Thanks for the money. You mad, bro? <laughs> Something like that. Matt Radcliffe, it's a saying for a reason. Thank you very much. Joe Kim Black, figuring it out, putting Cheddar on the line, writing, I'm only partway mm-hmm. through your mammoth deep dive into the Benoit tragedy, but it is driven home that I can no longer keep on being a freeloader. For a long time, I convinced Damn myself right. that first being a student, <laughs> now currently unemployed, was a good enough reason to not spend what little I have on a podcast. I was wrong. That's correct. Paul mm-hmm. Seitman. Thanks for the fucking cheddar. He writes quickly, thought I'd stop being m- mooching trash and give, mm-hmm. and give y'all a couple of my dollar gimmicks. Yes, Kala, thanks very much for that fucking pledge. We know the truth. Matt Radcliffe posted, thanks, Jens. You're doing amazing work. Well, you're giving us amazing cash. JT, we <laughs> see you. We thank you very much. Craig Ferguson, not a joke, stepping up to the plate. Ross Cameron realizes that it feels mm-hmm. better to give than to receive. He writes, gentlemen, yes. you do incredible yes. work. It's time to step up. I'm just back from a year of traveling around the world and the Lapsed Fan Podcast kept me company on those long 
get bus back journeys. to where you fucking belong. I don't have time for this shit. And sometimes lonely nights. I'm back home in Scotland now and have finally received my first wage packet in almost a year. I felt it was only fair that some of that cash found its way to you. That's right. That's the spirit. That's what we do. When you're ready to pay, we're ready to fucking receive. I will be upping my uh-huh. pledge as soon as I am in full-time work. That's what I like. I like those promises. You better keep them. Matt Clark, we appreciate you logging in and upping your pledge. Dear co-chairman, I've been a loyal listener since the day SummerSlam 91 was uploaded on WrestleZone. That's day one shit, boss. Wow. I've listened to every cast multiple times and can never get enough. Sometimes I wonder what I would say to myself as a kid about wrestling if I had the chance. I have so many great memories when it comes to predetermined athletics. But we can never forget about those memories that hurt. One of the many reasons why I love your podcast is that you guys aren't afraid to go there. I thought the Over the Edge show about Owen Hart's fatal accident would be your crowning achievement, but I just finished the Benoit episode. You two have turned the ass pain up to 11. I'm not afraid to say that a podcast about fake carny bullshit brought tears to my eyes. You've left me no Damn right. I've upped my pledge on Patreon to Stone Cold's favorite number. It's not much, and I doubt I'll be able to up it again anytime soon. But if I ever hit it rich, I know who to invest in. That's right, Matt. You holler at your boy. Yes. William Webb, thanks for the cash. He writes, I am a consistent... I felt it was my duty and personal responsibility to step up to the plate and start donating through Patreon. I'm at the $10 a month level for now. I'm a consistent viewer of the current product, but know something is missing. It is a cheap knockoff, an imitation of what I knew and loved. I enjoy it for what it is, but no things will never be the same. I first began watching right around Royal Rumble 1993, until early to mid 1999. (laughs) Now we talking. (laughs) Now we talking. High school was fast approaching, and I no longer had time to worry about juiced-up vascular behemoths and swim trunks participating in fake athletics. I was lapsed from the current product until moving in with my girlfriend around WrestleMania 32 last year. As many do in their early to mid-30s, I settled into a comfortable home life, and this led to watching Raw and SmackDown regularly. My girlfriend and I took a road trip from Minneapolis to St. Louis last month to go see Money in the Bank. It was my first pay-per-view in person since SummerSlam 1996 in Cleveland, where I grew up. I actually enjoyed the show and headed to Reddit Squared Circle to see where the general consensus was. Worst pay-per-view ever. Mm -hmm. A new low for WWE, read many of the comments. Yeah, it wasn't that great if I'm being totally honest with myself, but I have set the bar so low for the current product that I did enjoy it from a strictly in-person entertainment perspective. That is the key to today's product. Set the bar so low that you can be pleasantly surprised and don't expect it to be the same. I was dismissed with all this negativity and destructive criticism, so I immediately searched our Squared Circle that night for Best Wrestling Podcast. A list of a half Hi. dozen. <laughs> what was that, boss? Hi. Yeah. A list of a half dozen or so came up, mostly pertaining to the current product, and I had tried them all before. I then noticed something called the lapsed fan. Shit, I am lapsed. I thought I need to give this a go. I clicked on the page to see the old school Monday Night Raw style logo. Nice. I scrolled down to start with an appropriate show, Survivor Series 1991, my first Coliseum video rental in 1992. Wait a second, a four and a half hour podcast. Who the yep. fuck do these guys think they are? Fast we know who we are. The question is, how do you not know? Mm-hmm. Fast forward a few hours. The question is, how do you handle who we are? <laughs> I think that's right. I-, I think it was the great Jay-Z who said once, says a lot about you if you're not feeling us. You're damn right. This is how he wrote it. This is how Billy wrote it. Wait a second. 
a four and a half hour podcast? Who the fuck do these guys think they are? Fast forward a few hours. Oh, they know exactly who they are. <laughs> and it was on. I work from home and the past few weeks have been totally awesome. Shivani voice on Censor 95. With my regular dose of the fan. Around the house, I've been randomly talking in the Vince voice, occasionally calling my dog the beige cock. SummerSlam 89, Red Rooster. Dog is a shih tzu with a beige mohawk. Talking randomly about title shots. Jesse Ventura voice about bad news, Survivor Series 88. And females in the ring. Shivani on Ric Flair, Uncensored 95. (laughs) 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 Yes, boss. Among many others. Uh, It's almost like how Goldust quotes the movie lines, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. Taxi driver, 1970, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Long story short, I had to step up to the plate with the Patreon donation. I greatly appreciate the intellectual analysis intermixed with the cartoonish over-the-top comedy. It is the perfect mix to satisfy my need for wrestling nostalgia back when it was better. Have a good one, Billy. You have a good one, Billy. Thanks for the cheese. Maritz Nordland. It doesn't stop. It doesn't Mm. stop. Thanks for the fucking money. Why would it? He writes, can't explain how much I love your work. I bumped too much and broke my back 10 years ago. 24-7, 365 pain, especially during nights. For the last year, TLF has been playing in my ears during the night. When I wake up in pain, I am now greeted by lapsed Vince screaming, get in here, Patterson. Really a life saver. Not the first time we've been called that, boss. Nope. Not the first. We ain't no candy. No. <laughs> This 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 is the podcast that saves lives. Matthew Campbell, thanks for money. We are, I've said it before, we are the truth of professional wrestling. We are the people's podcast. <laughs> I think that's true. That's pretty close to accurate. I mean, what do you want us to say? Do you want us to just sit here and humble brag? I want to say, do you want me to sit here and be fucking humble? I don't have time to be humble. I know. This is, that's not the world we're living in anymore, people. I have the time to tell you the truth. I don't know. Right. I don't know if you're looking around, but that's not the the name of the game anymore. Is this false no. modesty? Like, give me a fucking break. If you don't think you're killing that shit, don't even fucking bother. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Stop making noise. Eat shit. Matthew Campbell, thank you. He writes, my ass is bleeding, and now I'm paying for it. You're damn right you are. You're damn right. Every single month. And Mark Wilson, thank you so very much for your generous pledge. Is that enough for now? Is that enough for now? Is it ever How enough? How am I supposed to feel about that? That I'm pulling the wool over these people's eyes, or mm-hmm. that they see something that's real going on? Or they've seen the truth. Over here at TLF. God damn it, boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we received no shortage of touching feedback about the Chris Benoit Memorial Show. Yeah. And I don't even know where to start with most of it. I, I think everyone hopefully can rest assured that it's been seen and been read. I mean, for God, yeah. for God's sakes, we did a whole part two just so we could get mm-hmm. as many thoughts in there as we can. So, yeah. Um, I'm hesitant to get into all of it, but rest know that we saw them, and you know, it's 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 very important to us to know that well, when you put that much effort into something, that people pick up on it. Yeah. Like Niaz writes, I was drunk. I just listened to the Benoit episodes, and I am drunk again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. 
he also writes, this is uh, our, our man Habib from Toronto, actually. He he encapsulates it to me. He puts a very, very fine point on a... On, oh, yes. On kind of what we were trying to bring home with the way we approached last week and every single week on this fucking show. Here's how he writes it. This Canada Day weekend... By the mm. way, the Benoit episode dropped on Canada Day, which we didn't even know. Yeah, right. Day. No, that was that was completely unintentional. That was not a... Uh, Unbelievable. That was not that was not a work. He writes, the lapsed fan has taught me, and I want everyone to listen very closely to this. Yes. This may be a drunk man talking, but in vino veritas, okay? <clears throat> mm-hmm. One, stop cultivating an online personality. Yes. Fake Twitter account deleted. I was shamed. I thank you for schooling me. You're welcome, and you will thank us again down the, down mm-hmm. the road. Two, don't take unnecessary pills. Yeah. Given Benoit's pill pocket popping, <coughs> taking fat burners to get abs seems stupid. Hey. Especially when I'm already married and there will be no new vaginas. Gave away fat burners. We just saved this motherfucker. You're damn right. From ephed- and his marriage. <laughs> from ephedrine-induced psychosis and fucking early death. I know that's an yep. exaggeration. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the point is, like he said, I'm married. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, who who exactly do you need to appeal to? I mean... I mean, certainly, you know what? Certainly, certainly, you know, do what you need to do to stay healthy. Yeah. You know, if... You and, know, and attractive and, and to your not? wife. Don't, you know, don't disrespect you know the woman. But, dude, stop. You don't have to look yeah. like you're a UFC fighter who just drained 20 pounds of water weight in the sauna. Like, there's supposed to be, like buffer between your fucking sinew and your skin. I don't get this. I I mean, I guess if you're going to be on television, but like, if you're not going to be on television, why the fuck do you want to torture yourself? These people are miserable. They're fucking miserable. Buffer Bagwell. You know what I'm saying? Gave away fat burners. You're welcome, Habib. Three. Damn right. Three. What he learned from the Benoit shows. Quality is God. Mm. I will try hard to put as much quality in the things that I do as much as you put into these podcasts. Mm-hmm. You took a podcast about wrestling. Wrestling. And made it rival 538s or Hardcore History serious podcasts, quote unquote. No gimmicks. No special production. Mm-mm. No guests. Just hard work. Preparation. Quality. I donated a one-time ten bucks. The least I can do. I'm still inebriated, so I'm oversharing. At least I'm not doing it on Twitter. My man, Habib in Toronto. That's he knows. what's up. That's he knows. What's up. Thank you very much. And I, I think that's a great uh, summation of at least how I want to feel after mm-hmm. doing labs fan and we we also noticed some evangelism doing that complete like you know train wreck of a show (laughs) you know it's just like a wildfire that thing it was that was that was that was rough (laughs) did it haunt did it haunt i didn't get the chance to talk to you about it did it haunt you um if it didn't, don't force yourself to say. It I'm, did. I'm trying to remember. I'm, no, I don't think it haunted me. It, but it, but it, it gave me. 
or it didn't haunt me long after. Mm. You know that. I mean, you know what? You know that first that first night. You know when we went over the details, of everything. I was like, I mean, it haunted me in a way. Uh, I remember being. Uh, I remember as a child, um, how if you watch a scary movie, you'd have nightmares. Like, and my imagination would always run wild. I don't know if I've told you this one, but like when, when I first saw Jaws, mm. um, first time I saw Jaws, I had this bizarre. My my imagination went wild and. I was so scared of the shark that I thought my window would break. Oh my god! And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, water would rush in and the shark would surround my bed. Of course, of course. You know, like that kind of. And and I started having that kind of sensation. I mean, also we you know finished whenever we finished like at two in the morning, or whatever that night. And you know, I'm already delirious, and um, I I had that eerie feeling again, like. Almost the same feeling I had when when I don't know, I think I must have told this one about when when I was reading the fucking mm-hmm. book in the bathroom in college the um, tributes by Meltzer the tributes book and reading about Bruiser Brody getting shanked in the fucking uh, um, in the shower and I'm imagining my roommate at the time running into the bathroom and killing me on the can <laughs> you know because <laughs> I'm so delirious I haven't slept in days. Um, <laughs> so awesome. But like, I had that. I did yes. have that feeling for a while. Like, I'm like, I gotta put a TV show on my like as I'm going to bed because I'm now horrified of what we talked about. And if you want to know what Boss sounds like in that state of mind, go back and listen to the lapsed pilgrimage to the Silver Dome, <laughs> where not 40 seconds can go by without him somehow worrying. That we're going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back and literally cause the building to collapse all around us. All it needs. That's, or the pet, or like, or hear me petrified going onto the fucking, you know, onto the the, the field of oh, the God, damn yeah. place. Yeah, like we're going to fall down into China, you know, like. Right, like, right, exactly. We're going to drown in the fucking water that's like, you know, two inches deep. And I just want to say, even if you yeah. don't email us on the reg at thelapsedfan@gmail.com or hit us on Twitter at thelapsedfan, even if you don't put it in front of our faces, we do notice and appreciate the evangelism out there on the larger yes. interwebs. For example, um, someone hit Reddit and said, I recommend the latest Lapsed Fan episode in the Benoit tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. Just trying to get a discussion started. And someone writes, do you have a link? That sounds pretty interesting. Someone else writes, um, here you go, parts one, two, and three. So thanks. Uh, and someone else writes, I don't mean this as a slight to their podcast, but here it comes, boss. Yes. Who on earth has time to listen to multiple four-hour episodes? Mm. And this is where the fucking solar system kicks into gear every single time. Always the best. As Always like, the best. As I like to say, let the hounds loose. Yes. First, first comment, me, every fucking episode. <laughs> Next person. Damn right. Next person. You don't have to listen to it all in one sitting. Next person. We <laughs> they see I love the like like the most logical Yeah. It's it's so funny how people who listen to podcasts don't always understand the most logical thing is turn it off when you when you don't have when you don't have a moment, when you have to do something. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Come back later. <laughs> Idiots. I, it's it's like honestly, it's the difference between people who listen to, you know, like tightly produced like kind of like 
bite-sized podcasts in audiobooks. Right. Like we're more along the lines right. of audiobooks, you know, like Exactly. What fucking Exactly. What person on the planet we're has like, Audible and does it refuses to listen unless they can listen to the right. whole book? It's like right. what the fuck is wrong with you? Like I on, won't man. listen to this book because I can't listen to the whole <laughs> thing on my commute. Okay, great. So, fuck that. We do it because it hurts, someone writes. Someone some, <laughs> someone else writes, this is how the addiction starts. Four yeah. hours isn't long enough. Can you imagine what this person is thinking? This person is like, These people just come out, the <laughs> they come out of the woodwork. They come out of the woodwork. Taking huge like, offense like, to this. Why can't I keep my mouth shut? Why did I speak? <laughs> yes. Someone else writes, office workers, me. <laughs> and then the one that really, truly must throw the questioner yeah. for a loop and this is the coup de gras here oh boy <laughs> you haven't had the need for pain have you <laughs> this guy is my fucking hero <laughs> four hours four hours is too long i wish it was 40 <laughs> i beg for the day that someone straps me down <laughs> oh my god <laughs> this guy's like what are these people talking about this guy is like these people are crazy. <laughs> no, because they are. I beg for the day. No context. You know, this is clearly someone who's never listened to our show, let alone understands yeah. all the ass stuff yeah. and everything. And he's getting this. It just it must confuse him so much. Oh, yes. I beg for the day, that he says to him, that someone straps me down and attempts torture by lapsed fan loop. <laughs> I beg for more. I beg for the pain. The kind of destruction in my little pink stinkhole that I deserve. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, this guy is like, what the fuck? <laughs> All he said was, what? not a slight at the pod. He's actually very polite about it. Not a right. slight, but I'm just right. curious. Like, how do people listen to this? And, and this guy, the, it's the kind of destruction in my little pink stinkhole that I deserve. Stinkhole. This guy doesn't even understand why you'd mention assholes, you know? He just doesn't even get why that isn't his... Jesus. <laughs> pink stinkhole. God. The great... God. Oh, my God. So thanks for that, everybody. We appreciate you taking up arms on our behalf. Just don't take it too far. That's all I ask. And if we're talking... If, if you do take it too far, we are not responsible for those people who take it too far. <laughs> we we are the least responsible you could ever imagine. So far, No but, one's been less responsible. I've got to read this to you. So, um, I'm, I'm, I, you know, as you're doing that, I was like, oh, you know, I, I always, every now and again, like to Google Labs Fan and see what people are saying. So on this, I don't know what this is, but someone was asking about podcasts and someone recommended us and giving this one person is, and we're mentioned, they say, you know, Laps yeah, fan. Yeah. We listen to And this person, and, and they ask the person, the, the original poster asked, why do you like those shows? One person writes, the Laps fan has already been mentioned. Don't know how it would come across for non-theatrical combat fans. <laughs> That's a way to put the niche. Fucking awesome, yes. This is the Laps Fan Theatrical Combat Podcast. We would be in the theatrical combat section of FYE if we were DVDs. Yes, right, exactly. If, they were, if That's our genre, theatrical combat. Awesome. 
Another uh, kind of far afield piece of correspondence we got that I want to tip my cap to is Nathan from Detroit, who doesn't so much write in on a particular show, but says in general, dear co-chairs, your expositions on the nature and meaning of nostalgia have been fascinating. As a 42-year-old lapsed fan, I do my best to tolerate today's product as a way to spend time with my 12-year-old daughter. I admit I'm still hoping for the day she says, Dad, these writers suck ass. Can we just watch some shows from when it was good? A lapsed man can dream. I'd been pondering your teachings in an attempt to suss out my own relationship with nostalgia when I saw the perfect encapsulation of the idea that nostalgia is the pain caused Mm -hmm. by the realization that the good times are never coming back. Oh. It was a simple sign that spoke to a generation that remembers what it's like to look someone in the fucking eye when you talk to them, remembers what it's like to have to walk to the video store to get a movie, remembers that a real man can engage in fierce martial simulations for damn near an hour in front of a... (laughs) Martial simulations is pretty fucking muddy. That one's going in the MVP box. Martial (laughs) simulations. Martial simulations. M-A-R-T-I-A-L. For damn near an hour in front of a capacity crowd of 80,000 people in Wembley Stadium, not despite being fucked on crack, but because he is fucked on crack. The sign of which I speak was on the front door of a radio shack. I had been there to buy a TV cord just a few weeks prior. The sign was written in black marker and simply read, Closed forever. Oh. The shopkeeper was reminding all of us that those days are gone. Mm-hmm. He knows they are not coming back. Some would call this man bitter. I would call him lapsed. He knows the truth. He knows. It used to be better. To the glory of our yes. dearest patron and savior, the warlord, Nathan from Detroit. P.S. I didn't cry. You cried. Thank you. <laughs> and I got to give a shout out to Ryan Loco as well, our good friend, friend of the program, MMA mm-hmm. photographer extraordinaire. Oh, yes. Subject line, when you've gone too far. Now you've gone too far. Pardon me. He writes, when I fly for work, I make sure to have a couple episodes all ready for the flight. It's the only thing that can keep me sane as I curse the airline industry 30,000 <coughs> feet up. However, sometimes when I arrive in a city and need to get a rental car, I'm fortunate enough to have an economy rental of a whopping $25 a day that will have a USB connection and allow me to continue listening as I arrive to my hotel. Little did I know this would cause such a disturbance. I made the mistake of downloading the New Blood Rising episode. I say mistake for two reasons. The first I will explain shortly, but the second being because it led to me actually going and watching that shit show. (laughs) Let me tell you, me screaming... Do your work. Yeah, exactly. Do your work. Homework. You have homework. And let me tell you, me screaming, oh, what the fuck, at the television was not in the script, fans. <laughs> but back to the reason for this email. Now, I'm driving my rental car on the mean freeways of South Florida, and I'm laughing uncontrollably at the abortion that is New Blood Rising when I notice a car following me. And then they flash their lights and yes. continue to follow me. Close. Too close. Was I about to be murdered? That's creepy as fuck. Was this in the script? Me, being an insane person, sped up a bit and immediately shout internally, They're shooting on me, dude. (laughs) Why is this driver on my tail? They're trying to take your heat, brother. And then it hit me. Due to the fact I was laughing so hard, and that my rental car was roughly the size equivalent to Juventud Guerrera, I had been swerving a bit on the road. The person Mm -hmm. thought I was drunk. 
And I'm not talking Kevin Nash pretending to be drunk in order to oh have to God. not take a bump. I'm talking Scott Hall drunk, and that's a work shoot, brother. I had to speed up even more to ditch the guy so I could focus on the task at hand, and that was seeing if Goldberg was going to do what was best for business and take the jackknife for the boys in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough that I look like an asshole on the plane midair as I burst out randomly laughing like Bulldog randomly exclaiming <laughs> that he's fucked up, Mr. Hitman. <laughs> but now it's, impe- it's impeding my life here on the land. What's next? At sea? On a tugboat? Or the tugboat? <laughs> I dare not think about how many car accidents have been caused thanks to you two slap nuts, and how many people have had to come up with an excuse as to why they crashed instead of admitting the truth. That there were two men so deep in their ass that they couldn't focus on the road in front of them. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, you know, admitting Amazing. admitting you loved the lapsed van and that it put you yeah. in an uncomfortable and uncompromising position is kind of like the parents who will never admit that they found their kid uh, hanging, asphyxiating himself, jerking off. You know, it's like you just put his dick away and pretend his girlfriend broke his heart. Right, you know? right, right. Just, you know, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> that's a more palatable... Uh, a reality. So again, thanks to everybody for all these great Benoit emails. We've seen them all. We've looked at them all. Um, we feel like we've laid that on thick enough, <laughs> in yes. some ways. But it really is appreciated, <clears throat> um, especially when people like the little little moments of levity, like when we when we noted that Benoit had multiple German shepherds. <laughs> I love those multiple Germans. I just thought shepherds. Was... Yeah, something worth tipping the cap to there. So, the yeah, lapsed fan at gmail.com to fill up that email box. Uh, Patreon listener request series is going to get back in full gear real soon. Um, but before us is the 1997 WWF King of the Ring. And I believe that puts us at a rather unfortunate position on the podcast mm-hmm. this week, boss. It's time for the King of the Ring 1997 Death Toll. We have, I believe, eight. Mm-hmm. Eight lapsed souls yeah. <laughs> uh, we have China Crush mm. Brian Pillman sure. British Bulldog Owen Hart <laughs> Hawk oh my god Paul Bearer they're all here and The Undertaker oh my god that's a grim one it is pretty grim that's, a, that's, a, that's one of the bigger ones recently yeah Um, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, that one was pretty, yeah, they've been a little bit, they've been a little bit smaller lately, but that one, that one hits home. A lot of good, a lot of good people not, uh, you know, pass on this one. So rest in peace all. And, uh, (laughs) we turn our attention to the 1997 King of the Ring. Uh, Oh, hold on. Uh, one more thing. Uh, the t-shirts. Thank you. ProWrestlingTees.com slash the laps fan. Uh, for those who do not know yet, we have um, your Kevin Nash, I'm just a guy shirt. Um, <laughs> and or lapsed there, Kevin. And lapsed there, Kev. Depending on when you're listening to this, there's a summer sale going on, so get that shit going. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, they, they've been sales going on left and right with, with, with uh, Pro Wrestling T, so go ahead and get on that shit. Uh, also, we've got the Vern, the Vern Gagney. The lapsed Vern line is is uh is up and running 
and up th- there's a mistake with one of the shirts so be careful We're trying to fix that the the um i believe the 90% shirt is not the right shirt uh but we do have the um the th- i've been in business 30 years shirt so when you say not the right ooh. shirt just clarify what you mean uh, the uh, the it has the, the the shirt the it has the ninety percent label underneath, but it's the 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 actual image is not the correct shirt. Got it. The uh, the wrong shirt was uploaded, so we have to fix that with them. So got it. That's all. That's in process. So prowrestlingtees.com/slash/lapsedfan. Yep. Uh, get get the swag that shows the good taste that yes. you exhibit, so that when someone says who listens to a four hour podcast, say eleven <clears> hours <throat> isn't enough. Check out yes. this Imaginary Athletics Commission t-shirt, you bitch. That's what you should do. So, uh, while we're on the topic of uh, fan contributions to this show, yes, I really have to give a quick acknowledgement before we transition to the deep dive to Zach Pendergrass, who <laughs> found a thing I've never heard oh, of. Oh, God called Diddy.it, Diddy as in D-I-T-T-Y as in a song, quick song. And apparently what it does is allow you to create these social media things where you plug in words and it spits out an animated GIF that's basically like a music video and it has a computerized voice sing the terms you punch into it. Yeah, I'll just say this. Jeff Jarrett may not be, but I'll tell you what. Ain't technology great? (laughs) I mean... And what he decided to do was plug some TLF key terms in and spit out a jam that I listened to all fucking weekend. You can ask anybody around me. <laughs> all weekend. I would cue this up at random intervals. It's so like, what's so funny about it is it's so poppy and so like <laughs> not, it's so not like the tone of the show. And so it's so great because it's it's very postmodern. It's very Barth, very Brecht. <laughs> yeah, all the rest. You know. Derrida. Uh, yes. So <laughs> to hear the to hear the woman say, to hear the woman say, the singer, deep dive in that ass <laughs> is maybe the greatest thing in the world. Let me let you know. Okay, there's a lot of things I love about this, and I want to say them all once. And you'll be hearing this every fucking week before we go to the yes. deep dive because that's yes. how much I love it. And it's yes. my podcast and your podcast, and that's what we can do. So yep. it's not just that he did this and that he made it hilarious. Yeah. It's that the, the actual syntax of the sentences, the cadence of the sentences, maybe because of the the limitations of this app and like maybe like you can only use certain sila- syllable words or something. They're, yeah. They're just nonsensical, even more than we typically are. <laughs> You know when we say it's that fucking cast or something like that? We say something, when we say fucking cast, that's descriptive about the show. That, that We don't just say it's a podcast. No. <laughs> and when you start listening to this thing, you think it's going down that direction of like, it's the fucking greatest podcast or it's that yeah. cast. He doesn't even say that cast. He says, and I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but there's something brilliant about it. TLF is is a fucking cast. As if you're explaining it to a classroom. TLF is a fucking cast. (laughs) It's like, why the introduction? But it's... 
but the the rhythm, <laughs> the melody of the singer's voice is so cr- incredible because yeah. it's spit out as if it's this profound <laughs> revelation, like this this thing that can be said with great conviction, like it's some statement of purpose and principle, as opposed to literally, if I translate it another way, the Laps Fan is a fucking podcast. <laughs> Like, I know, like, that doesn't tell me anything. But the way we say, <laughs> you the fucking cat. Give me deep diving, man. Right, let me read it cold and dry, without any harmony, and then you'll hear it. And then you'll know how brilliantly music can transform words. Because it's, 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 like uh, it's, like, it's like the dusty promos. Yeah, right. It's like when you, when, when you spell it out, can't, it makes no sense. Can't pay your wages. But when he speaks it. But when he speaks it, right, can't pay your wages. <laughs> you're you a manager, daddy. You're a manager for a, for, for, a, for, for a supermarket, baby. You can't pay your wages. The hard times among us, people who can't pay their wages. It's like, you mean you mean get their wages, make their wages, obtain their We mean pay? Ain't no, daddy, pay them, baby. <clears throat> Ain't nobody can pay their wages no more, daddy. You mean pay your bills, Dusty. All right. I mean my wages, baby. So this is exactly what it says. My wages, because I'm wagering money, baby, and I can't pay it, Daddy, when I lose. <laughs> I'm suffering them hard times, baby. Read, read the thing for us again, just as dryly as you can. What, what are the actual words in this 15-second gift? TLF, yeah. TLF is a fucking cast. <laughs> Give me deep dive in that ass. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <laughs> now, when I play it, I, I, when I play and I play it, I'm pretty sure everyone's going to be able to hear it. Okay, can you want you want to play it too on my count? Yeah, all right. On your, do you have it up? Yeah, it's up. Okay, let me let me make sure I get this right. And, all right, wait, 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 wait. not ready yet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, this is. We got to get this in first. It's time for that deep dive. Yes. Into your WWE Network archive. On the other side of this break, it's the latest deep dive from your TLF co chairman as Chairman's Choice resumes and we continue 1997 WWF with King of the Ring 97. On the other side of this break, it's that cast in three, two, one, play. It's content is intended for private use only.